Alright, we are doing episode 3 of the Hagen's Alley Books podcast. Some cool, cool stuff here where I'm going to go over some of the stuff that's going on with the books as well as basically giving myself an excuse to shoot the shit with some of my buddies that have been involved in projects and I've been involved in their stuff and hung out with them at conventions and one of my really good friends from the East Coast convention scene and shooting the shit with, uh, I got my buddy Mike on today. Go ahead and uh, tell everybody a little bit of who you are, Mike. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, so name's Mike, Mike Levy, and I go by Mike Tendo on YouTube. Uh, I have a channel. It's youtube.com forward slash dongled. And it is uh, a, a smorgasbord of a uh, bunch of different stuff, um, which we'll get into, I guess, uh, a little oh, later. Yeah. And, um, Absolutely. you know, podcasts and all sorts of goodness. So lots of content. I've uh, been doing YouTube for God knows how long. Uh, probably about, uh, this is my, I think, sixth year. Doing Damn, it. almost yeah. as long as my YouTube channel here. My YouTube channel here is, like, really old, but I've never yeah. done content, like, <laughs> constantly. Like, this will be, like, the the most constant content that I'll have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you have one of the most complex names for a, a show that you, that you do on YouTube. But it's really, really cool, though. The show's cool. Yeah, no, I have a... The, the main show is called Dude, You Haven't Played This Game. Exactly. And, uh... Yeah, it's it's a mouthful, but uh, you know, it's it, it's a lot of fun. I consider it edutainment. Yeah, um, you have skits too, which is really cool. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. It's skit based, uh, with you know, just like you know, complex reviews. Um, you know, the show's gotten a lot better over the years. Uh, when I started out, I had no idea what I was doing, which I I, I think that that's kind of the case with everybody. Nobody really starts out doing something and completely knows what they're doing. Um. <laughs> Some people do, some don't, but, uh, you know, I can talk about the history of the show and yeah. how I started it and, you know, I'll, t- I'll talk about all that, but that's Absolutely. what's going on. Absolutely. And we will definitely dig into the psyche of Mike Tendo, the dongle as it may be. Cause yes. you had, you had a little bit of a, like a little, uh, different names throughout the years. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, the the channel itself dongled is um I don't know, it's it's kind of like if you're familiar with Happy Video Game Nerd, like his mm-hmm. show is called Happy Video Game Nerd, but his channel was Low Fat Jello. Yeah. And I, I didn't do that intentionally. When I started my channel, it was more just, "Oh, I want an account so that way I could stay subscribed to people." And I was like, "What am I going to come up with?" And dongled was what I came up with and um the inside joke behind dongled is when I was in college um, uh, this is so long ago, back in the day, uh, laptops didn't have built in ethernet, a lot of them. So what you had to do is buy like a PCM CIA card. And a dongle. Um, I ended up buying, <laughs> yeah. And you had to like buy a dongle with that, uh, like a dongle oh, cable. Wow. So, um, I didn't realize that in the card that I bought and I bought it, got it home plugged it in, installed everything, got it all up and running and downloaded the drivers or got all that nonsense ready. And then I plug in the card and I go to plug in the cable and realize that it's a PCM card, not a PCM CIA card. And I look at my roommate who is my buddy James, who is just hilarious. And he's just like, 
I'm like, do you believe this? I was like, I, I bought the wrong kind of card. Like, I need a card with a with a dongle cable so that way I could plug in the Ethernet cable. And he was like, dude, you got dongled. <laughs> so that that was kind of like, you know, somebody getting screwed over or, you know, they made a stupid move or whatever. And that's kind of, <laughs> you know, the the way that dongled was created as far as the name itself goes. So It's crazy how, like, little names like that just stick with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like it, it, it was so ingrained in our vocabulary, me and my friends, that not only was I saying it, like literally everybody that I knew at the time was like, "Oh, you got dongled." Oh man, dongled. <laughs> so it was like this big, like vocabulary word that everybody in my little pack of friends was using. So it just became this really funny thing that uh, that people say and. Uh, you know, now, of course, nobody knows what I'm talking about when I say my channel name and I'm like, I have to re-explain the story every time. So there you go. Now it's pontificated on a on a cast somewhere on the. Internet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, like my name on my channel, I think it's kind of changed now. I think I renamed it or something to Hagen's Alley, possibly. Yeah. But like the yeah. subcon three, that's on like almost everything that I do. Mm-hmm. And that one has its own crazy name that I don't even know if I've told on any podcast. And like literally, it was I was in a video game band mm-hmm. like twenty years ago. <laughs> oh really? Oh, it was called the Subcon Three. And we called it Subcon the Mar- the World of Mario right. Two, but there was three of us. Okay, so it was myself. Kyle from VGBS and our buddy uh-huh. Keenan. Yeah. And like we played video game music. Keenan played keyboards where he could play some of the, you know, different pieces of the video game music and mm-hmm. Kyle and I played guitar and bass and we played video game music really really uh, absurdly and <laughs> and we just called it it was like the Subcon 3 was the just the email that I was using and then that ended up being my main email. Oh. <laughs> It's funny how that works out. Yeah, and then now like everybody has that email, so then and it like kind of went to all my Xbox and PlayStation names and, yep, and yep. everything, and it's like yeah, that's how it goes. I've got an <laughs> I, I have uh, an AOL account that I use for junk mail that I have had since high school, and when whenever I tell people my email, you know, like you go to the store, let's say you're out with friends and you go to the store and. Uh, you know, they're like, can we have your email address? And I give them that one. And the, and my friends always, are always like, dude, you still have an AOL account? I'm like, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's my junk email. So That's classic. The classic AOL, AIM, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The Subcon 3 is also uh, associated with my MySpace account. Oh, yes. Oh, man, MySpace. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Back in the day. It's so classic, though. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just crazy how names just, like, follow you, and then there's, like, a story behind it. Mm-hmm. Like, we both have the same craziness. Like, exactly. Old school internet monikers. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's weird, because nowadays I think a lot of that is lost. You know, like, I, I think usernames are kind of a thing of the past, unless you're, like, a gamer. Because, yeah. like, if you're a gamer, you have a gamer tag or you have a gamer uh, username or whatever. And I don't think really, like, a lot of people still have usernames. Like, a lot of people just put their names for their email nowadays, you know? Yeah, they like make it more professional. Right, right, right. It's not, <laughs> that's, you know. That's hilarious because I'm like, 
I'm doing, you know, Hagen's Alley Books is an LLC. It's the business. And I'm yeah, sitting there yeah, yeah. calling freighters to organize things and, and actual professionals. And I'm like, yeah, my email's thesubcon3 at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> and I still use it. I'm never going to forward, like, a professional. Because I could do, like, a my name and then just have it forwarded to that one sure no what's way. the fun of that though no that's way. No fun. <laughs> i love it though it's so hilarious to do it that way definitely so so going with the uh quote-unquote structure of the uh the cast um mm-hmm. i've been talking about like my projects that are going on um and so the big one is that Hidden Gaming Gems, generation by generation, which is, you know, on the title card, and it's, like, all over the uh, descriptions and everything. Um, So that's the next book, the re-release of my first book that was published in 2012 in Europe, and publishing it in the high-quality giant version. It is launching next Friday on the 15th of June. Nice. So, yeah, it's going to be probably more in the evening since, you know, most of us are in work and doing that stuff. So I'm probably going to wait till the, the evening to launch the book. And, like, basically, I think I'm getting some news coverage, some craziness. It's going to be pretty, pretty awesome. I know a lot of people have been asking for Volume 1 ever since I released the complete NES with a 2 on it. Like mm-hmm. the OCD gamers were like, "Where's number one?" Yeah, yeah. I'm like, "Well, there's this print-on-demand version of my first book that was only released in tiny quantities in Europe. Like, I had this whole story for how to get hidden treasures, but mm-hmm. but with hidden gaming gems, it's going to be cool because I'm doing a chapter on every gaming generation, all the way from Pong." which is going to be told by the game scholar Leonard Herman, that first chapter, he's he wrote it, all the way to the Nintendo Switch, which is the beginning of the ninth generation. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's going to be crazy, like, how many different additions I've done, too, because I've added, like, three to four reviews per, per uh, chapter myself. Mm-hmm. And then with the classic Hagen's Alley books where people contribute and then all you all in the community contribute, like there's going to be a lot of content to this book. It's going to be a beast. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be huge. And, and like, unlike my complete series where it's blippets about each game, these are, you know, four to eight page reviews combined mm-hmm. with multiple images that are full page on some of them or you know spread pages that are interspersed with the text just to show off the game and the action and it's a little more of a detailed review process on it just to dig into it and why we like it and why it's a hidden gaming gem yeah a lot more thorough right? yeah and the, the crazy thing was is like back when i first did this book in 2012 i had um three people actually because i did contributors way back then um yeah i had i don't know if you know who eric bailey is he's uh yes the nintendo legend and then um he moved on to skirmish frogs and like he i knew him from a long long time ago when i ran uh the vg masters club the video game masters club website and Basically, like, he contributed a few. Like, he talked about um, Star Tropics, which was awesome. 
And then he also talked about a few games that he 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 called hidden gaming gems, but they weren't gems. They were just hidden games, like Tag and Dragon. Right, right. And then I had other guys. Um, this one guy, Alex, and then another guy. Um, that they, they were talking about games, and they just weren't gems. They were just like bad games that they were talking about. And <laughs> like uh... angry video game nerd. Who was yeah, popular yeah, yeah. at the time. And, you know, this book came out, it was like before Metal Jesus Rock started getting big with hidden gaming gems. Right, right. Which which is hilarious. Like I was gonna I was gonna say you're you're putting out a book in twenty eighteen called or at least starting a Kickstarter in twenty eighteen called uh Hidden Gaming Gems. I, I'm sure you're gonna get uh a, a lot of uh flack from the gaming community uh because uh those those words are forbidden you know as soon as you start saying <laughs> hidden gaming gems there's there's like a there's a certain um antagonistic approach that i think people take to those words yeah and uh they they think you're blowing up the spot on some games that you know everybody wants to keep as a, a like a hidden treasure trove of of games all to themselves or or you know they want the you know uh, i i mean I'm cool personally with prices going down for games. Me too. But uh, people are upset because people because prices go up. Yeah, and... because stock is finite. That is the yep. main thing. And I, and it'll be interesting to see if people are like you're saying antagonistic because I'm calling it hidden gaming gems. Yeah, but yeah. it's like I hope not. I hope I hope. I it, mean. It... If they are, they are. It's it's okay because I mean this is literally a re-release of a six-year-old book, right? <laughs> and it's just going to be more in depth and cooler. And I mean, here's the thing though: like Sergio, our buddy Sergio Elizondo, who does Sergio on the Holograms, he is a writer too, and he's written in some of the books. He is covering River City Ransom mm-hmm. because to him, people don't know why it's so good. So he wants to talk about the the hidden aspects of River City Ransom. It's a different approach because I wouldn't yeah. say the game itself like like most retro gamers know what River City Ransom is. Right, right. But it is a it's gem. Not like, it, it's not like you said, I don't know, like Double Dragon or something. Something that's way more common or Galaga. Yeah. You know, we're, we're talking about a game from a series that is not you know, it's it's well known to a lot of gamers, but I think if you mentioned it, especially to newer gamers in in mm-hmm. uh, the modern age, they wouldn't know what you were talking about because you know River City Ransom games, while they while they are still coming out, they're not as um, uh, prevalent. I guess would be probably the best word. Yeah, and I mean basically the old because this the, the moniker of this book is generation by generation. But the mm-hmm. old moniker, because it was Hidden Treasures, was Rare and Unappreciated Gems. So, like, I was going by Rarity, too. So, like, you were saying, like, River City Ransom was a little more uncommon. So, yeah. like, I didn't really come across as a rental back in the day. So, oh, yeah. So, there no, I never that. saw it for, I never saw it for sale back then. Yeah, and to me, that makes it really cool that, you know we're able to go back about it now and talk about the nuances. And the thing is, is that hidden gaming gems, there's no concrete definition and I'm sticking with that. Like yeah. I'm going to talk about what it means to me, you know, in the, the beginning of the book, but what it means to me and what it means to you are two different things. Sure. Sure. 
And so, like, I know, what was the game you're going to be covering? Because I know you're writing about it. Yes. Uh, I'm doing a review for Battlemania Daiginjo, which is a Japanese exclusive game. Mm -hmm. Uh, It didn't come out here in the States. Uh, The first game in the series did. Was it uh, Troubleshooter? Troubleshooter, right. Yeah. That came out for the Sega Genesis. So. Uh, Battle Mania Daiginjo is the sequel to that, uh, which is a Japanese Mega Drive exclusive, and it got an extremely low print run. It did not sell exceptionally well, uh, but it is one of the like this is one of those games that, uh, and I'll probably mention this in my review, but mm-hmm. whenever anybody asks me what their what a Sega Genesis hidden gem would be, I, that is always my first pick it's got fantastic soundtrack it's got great gameplay uh, i mean if you played the first one it's like the first one uh but a little bit tighter i would say um yeah. more action-packed and uh it's just it's a phenomenal shooter uh where you control two different girls um so so what's crazy though is that like we're talking like one person, Sergio's talking about River City Ransom. Now, you're doing a game like I guarantee most people listening have probably not played Troubleshooter on the Sega Genesis. Like, I didn't right. know about it. And then it's essentially a spiritual successor to Scat on the NES, but you're yeah, controlling yeah. females. Yep. Um, and the thing is, is that, like, you're doing a a more hidden version, a more rarer version of a game that's rare and hidden to begin with on the Genesis. <laughs> yeah. That's more hidden on the Mega Drive in Japan. Exactly. Like that's yeah. fucking amazing to me. That's yeah. awesome. Like it's like that's what drives me like crazy too. Is like there, it's never ending where you can find like amazing gaming experiences nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and now that's where true. this book's gonna get really cool. I think. I, I think that, uh, you know, in one of your books, um, the uh, one with all the Famicom games. Yeah, the NES Oddities book. Yeah. Yep, yep. I've been going through that book, and I've just been like, like, just, it's a good coffee table book where you could just, like, scroll through and just, or, you know, uh, flip through the pages and, like, look at all the games uh, for Famicom, there's stuff there that I've never heard of. Stuff that I'm interested in. They see picture and you know everything, and you could read the words, and you know it. It really kind of motivates you to start really hunting down some of the games that are in the book. So, uh, you know, it's it's kind of why these books exist. It's nice to be able to to look at a small glimpse of 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 what your you know what your potential gaming interest could lead to. And with this new book, I think that um, especially with more fleshed out reviews, it's going to be even better because you'll get a bigger perspective on, you know, you won't just get a snippet. You'll get like a full couple pages or a page or two or whatever of, uh, you know, uh, reviews. A little bit more in-depth look on some of these gems. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. The, I do have to admit, though, with the NES oddities and that whole Famicom section, like, that was a character builder because I went and played every single game on the Famicom mm-hmm. and eliminated games that existed in other regions and then ones that, like, we wouldn't appreciate not being able to read all the Japanese. 
Right. And, and then I went through and like then started to format and all the different layouts and start to play the games and get my own take on them and mm-hmm. get get all the screenshots and everything like that was a character builder and a good segue. Um, you're definitely gonna dig, and a lot of the you know other readers are gonna dig the definitive complete SNES mm-hmm. because I had I added um over a hundred pages of Super Famicom games in the exact same method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, like all you uh, guys that helped me out with the original complete SNES, like, you haven't gotten them yet because, you know, the book came out and had a spine error where there wasn't a glue on it. And so this is the, the fix is underway and I actually have an update for this week again. Um, mm-hmm. Like, literally, I was trying to get the books shipped from my warehouse, the the remainder of the books that I didn't ship out because I shipped out like I want to say sixty to eighty percent of the books. To oh everybody. wow! And they had the error, and not everybody has the error though. Mm-hmm. So like I'm getting responses of people that have problems with it, and I'm like, all right, cool, you're gonna get a replacement, no problem. Right, um, right. And then the printing company was really, really awesome. They were like, okay, we're going to reprint the print run for you because that's, you know, that's crazy. So Yeah, that's that's awesome that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. And that takes, though, like six weeks. Oh, so, wow. So that, while that's working, I'm also taking the remainder of the books and shipping those to a repair facility. So mm-hmm. that's out of pocket for me because, you know, the – printing company is printing them so i'm not they're not they either could print them all or fix the remainder and i'm like well since i shipped out so many i'm gonna actually need the reprint to ship to people Mm -hmm. so the fixed ones though were finally shipped out i actually my warehouse apparently they don't do freight shipping which i didn't know so i had to like work with a freight shipping company and like set that all up this week while i was working Oh, wow. Yeah, it was crazy. So I I got that all. (laughs) I finally got a confirmation and tracking number and everything. So it's finally getting to the repair facility. That'll take like another week. And then Mm -hmm. I have to ship it back either to me personally or ship it to the warehouse so we can ship it all out. Right, Um, right. Now, in the past, my warehouse has not used bubble wrap and done some crazy stuff. So I'm probably moving to a better facility. And this is that's a, good. This is a good option to. This is a good opportunity to move mm-hmm. to a new facility for me. So yeah. I'm going to utilize this. And there's actually a one that um doesn't have a lot of. They have a lot of complainers online about their their uh, business. Mm-hmm. But but then I talk to them and I see and I'm like all of that stuff that they're complaining about is just because the people don't understand how shipping works. Right. Not, right. Not anything that they're doing. And yeah. they're above and beyond my current warehouse, who seems like they're still living in 1980. And oh, geez. Yeah, like, they're just like, <laughs> they, they were just literally putting, I mean, you got the NES oddities. I, I'm pretty sure you got it from the warehouse. They just, like, put paper around it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I, think I got it, I think I got it with another book. Mm-hmm. And they like uh, threw a couple pieces of paper in there and said, "Oh, that's packed." And it's like, yeah, yeah, it I was in ex- like a FedEx box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to explain <laughs> to them. Number one, that's not how you pack stuff. 
Right. <laughs> Number two, you got to use a bubble wrap. So, like, they made it sound like it was some big deal to add bubble wrap to my stuff. And they're like, oh, it's going to cost you, like, five cents. I'm like, why didn't you just do that? I will pay right, five yeah. cents. Like, what the hell? Yeah, I'd rather protect it or whatever. And then they're still shipping it in that giant FedEx box, though. So the book's still moving. The the books, you know, the NS oddities, they're huge. They're, yeah, like, yeah. heavy books. So they're still moving around and getting, like, corners dinged up, even with the bubble wrap. Because they're, I'm like... Why don't you give me some boxes that fit? And then they were like, well, we could do, you know, like basically a book box that you buy on eBay, which costs like, like what, 10 cents a box or something on eBay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I shipped out personally all my first like 10 or all my first five or six print run books, like books Mm -hmm. from the print run, like all the first five or six I did personally. And then I finally went to a warehouse because had too many books and the wife made me move them. Um, and, and like, so like, I know what to do with all this. And like, so they're like, oh yeah, you could get some of those custom ones. And then the warehouse sent me over to another company to buy the boxes, custom boxes. Really? So I'm like, and I talked to this dude and he's like, yeah, it'll cost this much a box and all this. And I'm like, okay. And then I just looked on eBay and it's like, you know, it's still 10 cents a box or less. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, why wouldn't I just go there and then ship those right. boxes to them? Like, yeah, exactly. These guys are, I, they're just literally lost in like, I like that. I have somebody, a human being to talk to when I have an mm-hmm. issue, which I won't have with the new warehouse. It's more automated, but I'm like, Oh man, I just want, you know, more modern options. So that way everybody who gets a book from me gets it like perfect. Right, right. So there's no issues. Yeah, I agree. This is going to be interesting. Going to be interesting, man. And it's just like, so yeah, this so the, this will be like the first time where like I shipped out all the Super Nintendo books, but I'm like waiting on fixes. But then I'm going into the next book because I wanted to launch this Hidden Gaming Gems book like back in April or May. Mm-hmm. But I literally waited until I had 100% way ahead with the Super Nintendo books. We had multiple delays, all that stuff, so... Like, I waited till everybody at least had the books, but then now I'm going to have to move forward so we can at least get this book launched. And because I know I, a lot of you guys that are contributing are, you know, going to be giving me your reviews. And then I'm it's it's ready. Like, I already wrote like 350 pages in the new book. Right. And Hidden yeah. Gaming Gems book. So wow. it's like it needs to. Needs to go out. People have been wanting <laughs> volume one, so I'm going to get that out. Hopefully, I'll have it before game on. Um, this time, because of all those delays, right, um, I put December 2018 is when the book will be released. That's six months. Wow. I hope it'll be out in two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's cool. I mean, that's uh, – I, I know that once you – since you've got, like, most of the writing done uh-huh. – uh, it, it's gonna be. I mean, editing, if, of course, is always difficult. But um, it's it's the, once you get the bulk done uh, of the writing, then then you'll be you'll you'll be on your way, so to mm-hmm. speak. Well, and I do have one of my buddies editing the books now. Like he started with the definitive complete SNES, so that entire book. So it is six hundred and thirty pages, not five hundred anymore. And that oh. entire book was ed- edited. So, like, from the original <laughs> to the definitive, it has it's edited now for, like, consistency and repetition. And it's a lot smoother of a read, too, which is awesome. It, it reads awesome now. 
That's cool. Yeah, and I, I had to go through meticulously and make sure he didn't change the meaning of any of it from the original book, too. That was that was a tough one. Yeah, I remember when you released the um, the first Super Nintendo book, or was it the Nintendo book? I think it was like the first print run of the Nintendo book. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember then you released like a second version of it. I think it was the Nintendo book and like it was like night and day the difference like the new Mm -hmm. printer was was definitely way better. Oh, yeah. And like is is ridiculous. And (laughs) I think the paper quality and the printing quality on the first book was a little lackluster like it was Mm -hmm. Oh, like it looked good, but it didn't look as good as um, as as it could have looked. And I, I think he gave it like a little bit more of a. Uh, a textured feel to it, a little bit more, not glossy, but like a little bit more. Like, oh no, cleaner. there's there's glossy now. <laughs> oh yeah, and and here's um, the thing. So so basically, with the first Super Nintendo book, that's when I learned because there was an entire Reddit thread, de- like dedicated to how people were upset with the quality aspects of it and the they didn't like joe simcoe super nintendo man art and there was a ton of stuff and i i just i don't even have a reddit account so i just read it all and i'm like i don't read stuff and get angry i read stuff and i go okay so how can i make that better right how can i make the experience better for people right right so the crazy thing is by reading all that, and the people were being like assholes on that thing. They were crazy. Like, really, they were being mm. mean as shit. And I was like, damn, yeah. if I didn't have a thick skin, I'd be hurt. <laughs> but <laughs> but the thing was, I, I did it, and I got... I used that because the printing company that I had was stateside, and they just weren't using good quality. And I, I first realized it when I would send the books to the 1800s bindery to get the leather-bound tomes made. And they were like, so these are getting bound backward to the standard. Like they're like if it's vertical, they were doing horizontal or whatever. It was like these aren't going to hold up. Huh. And I'm like, really? So I asked the the printing company, and they had no clue what I was talking about. So I'm like, okay. Oh boy. <laughs> so that's when I talked with some other authors. Actually, um, one of my uh, buddies, Tim Lapatino. Um, did the Art of Atari book. Somebody might have heard of that. Um, mm-hmm. The Ultimate Street Fighter book that just came out too. Um, yep. Yeah, so he's like, hey, I got, you know, now I'm using this publisher, but before that I had this printing company. They did excellent work. So that I just reached out to him and then like got this the sample, and that's who I've went through f- since the NES oddities and on. Mm-hmm. So the well, NES, I remember- uh, yeah. I remember uh, way back in the day when you and I were working on Pixel Nation, the short-lived mm-hmm. uh, European magazine that a bunch of us were. I think it was like you, me, and one other person were the only Americans that were on this uh, this mostly British magazine. Yep. Uh, and we – like the, the issues, the physical issues that came out uh, looked gorgeous, like absolutely gorgeous, like yep. glossy – uh, you know, they were smaller, uh, like smaller in terms of the physical design, but I think that was more like a European design. Yeah, they were thing. like they were like smaller, like almost like Disney Adventure size books. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty but they cool. were really cool, yeah. And and they were super glossy, really pretty books. And I recall the 
first issue, I think, had some binding issues, and then the second mm-hmm. uh, fixed those issues. And the first issue had me like with two W's for my last name or something. Yeah, I think they. <laughs> I, I I don't remember if they didn't credit my name on one of the articles or not. I can't remember, but um, I was pretty happy with that first issue because yeah. I had written. Uh, and, and I, I'd written a bunch of articles for it, but one of the articles I interviewed, I was like, I think one of the first people to interview the voice actors for, um, the Zelda cartoon yeah, for, uh, princess Zelda and I remember that and link, I interviewed both of them, uh, via email and sent them questions and then they answered my questions and then I wrote up a a really interesting interview and that made it onto that made some headlines online when it came out uh in for Pixel Nation. I think that was like one of the uh most like talked about articles of that issue which was really cool. Like it got on Zelda Informer and a couple other Zelda sites. It was super cool. I remember yeah. that one. I was reading it and I was like, "Damn." Yeah, it was pretty interesting to hear from both of them and to kind of like learn a little bit about the the cartoon because I don't think at that point anybody had really reached out and interviewed them. And I think somebody did uh, a YouTube audio interview at a later time, if I recall. I think I remember looking it up a few years back. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. And then I think the second issue I did with that was um, – I did a uh, Final Fantasy VII, which made the cover, and I, I wrote up this huge piece on Final Fantasy VII, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a retrospective. And what kills me is I wrote a really interesting uh, piece for the third issue that I never put out, and it was um, like a retrospective on Dead or Alive on the entire like series up to that point. Oh, nice. And uh, I was really happy with that, but it ultimately got shelved because... Never came out. uh, Yeah, it never came out. And I think I was working on another... um, A couple other articles that ended up making it onto RetroCollect.com because I was writing for them at the time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I was doing year by year for, for gaming... Yeah, you were doing that for a while. And the thing that's crazy, though, is then now I turned that into the the Culture Chronicles, the Video Game Culture Chronicles. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have 90 and 91, and so, like, that actually had its start in Pixel Nation. And the irony is I wrote, I think I started with 85 with Pixel Nation. Mm-hmm. And I wrote all the way up to 89, but yeah. I, then I turned it into giant books with huge spreads and... <laughs> Right, right. So it'll be cool because I may go retrospectively and and jump back and reference, you know, and, and quote the Pixel Nation freaking <laughs> ones from back in the day when I do like the. I'll older... have to go back and, and flip through those. It's been a long time since I have, but uh, I was pretty proud of that. That was the first time I had made it into an actual like physical magazine in terms of. Nice. I, yeah, I mean, like I've I've been printed before. Um, I went to school for journalism and graduated with a, a, a bachelor's in journalism. So, um, I, I've, I've been printed in a number of different publications, uh, mostly like just regular newsprint mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But it's always really cool to see your, your work on paper that anybody could read. 
it's 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 an interesting thing and and I'm glad I'm glad that I was able to get this opportunity uh to write for a couple of your books after you know Pixel Nation folded and mm-hmm. uh you know I guess call it kismet because it was funny because I I had no clue when I reached out to you that you had written for Pixel Nation until uh we got to talking and I mentioned that I I wrote for Pixel Nation and you were like, yeah, so did I. I was like, no, oh, oh, seriously? And and I went back and and found your name. And was like, oh shit, oh, okay, all right, cool. There's like two of us that did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, There's the one other guy. Only Americans. <laughs> there might have been one other guy, like you said. I don't, I don't even I remember. So. I just know you yeah. and me. But it's like, yeah. holy shit, like how things come full circle. I know, and, I know. And so, since we started about a little bit about the uh, the Mike Tendo beginnings, let's continue. I want to hear about your humble or not so humble beginnings. <laughs> like, because like, um, so we got Pixel Nation. We're, you're doing yeah, the writing thing, but I, you're I guess, huge into music. So I want to hear the, the sound. I I am. Yeah. Um. I, I would say that everything started back when I was in. You know, I was always a huge gamer. Um. But not to go too far back, but I would say like high school was probably right around the time when I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And I know I wanted to do something with video games or something with music. And, um, I had an English professor who I became very fond of and I really liked the way he taught. Uh, he was a really nice guy as well. And he kind of, uh, sat my dad down during, uh, the parent teacher conference. And he was like, what is, what does Mike want to do with his life? And my dad was like, yeah, I think he wants to go into computers. Like he wants to be like computer science or like computer programming. And he was like, well, is he really good with math and science? And my dad's like, no, actually he's really bad with math and science. <laughs> and so he was like, well, he's an excellent writer. Like you should really kind of, you know, steer him in that path. And, you know, after my dad came home and talk, we talked about it. I was like, yeah, well, I've always wanted to write for Nintendo Power, so that makes sense. <laughs> and so I started a journalism, you know, degree when I uh when I got out of high school and I was in college and uh, you know, went to college for quite a while and then ended up graduating and from there I I was kind of I had written for a bunch of different magazines and or or rather a bunch of different newspapers yeah. um like local mostly local stuff um like covering all sorts of video game or music related stuff. So have you um, well, only written about stuff that you enjoy or like going through college, obviously you probably had to write about things that you weren't necessarily oh, interested yeah. in. Like, Oh, I, absolutely. So, yeah. so when did you realize that the precipice was video games and music? Um, well, so I started, I mean like, yeah, you're absolutely right. You had to always cover stuff that, you know, isn't the most exciting in most cases. Like I would have to go to like, uh, like mayor, uh, like town town hall meetings and stuff like that for my local town. And I would, um, you know, interview the mayor, interview different, you know, people in the town and, and on the committee and everything. So I would do stuff like that. Um, and I got big into radio at that point because I was uh, pretty big in the music. And so I started leaning more towards radio at the time. Okay. Uh, doing uh i i had my own radio show you you want to you want me to blow your mind how crazy we all p- kind of paralleled each other is yeah. my minors in mass communications and i had a, a radio show 
Oh, that's funny. Called the Puma <laughs> Powerhouse, and we had like interviews on there and everything. That's cool. <laughs> I, I don't even remember what my show was called. I really don't. I think it was like Metal Mike or something. I don't know. I mostly metal played metal Mike heavy metal Mondays. music. Yeah, or something <laughs> like that. We need to, we need to, we really... need to go back to Metal Mike Mondays. I'm just telling yeah. You. <laughs> I, I, I like I had. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that I I I called it like Metal Mike or Mike Metal or some Mike Metal Metal the Metal Show with Mike or something like that. It was really lame, but uh, I just <laughs> uh, I I remember because it was just me. Like it was pretty much just me sitting around talking to people out there about music, and I I don't know like I. I don't mind doing that, but I, I kind of always wanted somebody to interact with. So I started bringing in my friends and mm-hmm. started chit-chatting. I was close with a couple of people who were pretty big metalheads. And uh, so, you know, I would play like all sorts of random stuff. And, you know, back then, back in the day, radio, radio stations, like trying to run a radio station or trying to run a radio show probably wasn't as automated as it is now. Oh, it definitely uh, wasn't. <laughs> No. So there were a lot of headaches, a lot of problems. Um, but after shortly after that, I, I wanted to get into PR, like public relations. So um, my my career kind of started, you know, while I was in journalism, like I was going through all the motions of learning about different aspects of journalism, you know, writing and like writing for a news publication or just like a beat reporter um, and then, you know, doing television, doing radio, um, doing production, doing editing. I took communications courses, um, stuff in Photoshop and stuff like that, which a lot of it I forgot, but I had to relearn. Of course. Uh, fairly recently. And, uh, you know, and then I graduated and then I was just like, what do I do? Like, what the hell do I do? <laughs> That's like everybody who graduated college around that era, myself included, it's like, what the fuck next? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, the the probably um, one of my most proud moments of of that era was when I did a featurette, uh, like a like it was a cover story for the um, I'm from Connecticut, so for the New Haven Advocate, and I did an article on uh, video games live, which was coming to town. Nice. And, yeah, and it was a pretty big deal because they played they have this like super old organ that that they used and uh the guy the Mario pianist Martin Lung, mm-hmm. I think his name is. Yeah. He's like you know that guy that played the Mario songs blindfolded? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that guy. So they had that guy come uh to video games live and he joined Tommy Tallarico on stage and he played castlevania music on an organ like live that's amazing and it is fantastic so um what was cool about that article was i got to interview a bunch of different people in the video game industry for music specifically like i interviewed uh grant henry who goes by stemage yeah Uh, yes he does like metroid metroid metal yep 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 uh, interviewed him. I interviewed Tommy Tallarico, which was really cool. Interviewed and, Tommy. Nice. Yeah. What was nice about that was that was kind of my real first taste of interviewing video game music composers. And I ended up getting backstage passes for that event. So I showed up at the event 
and Tommy was there. I brought because um, he actually did um, the music for or not the music, but some of the sound effects were left in from when uh, Tallarico Studios was working on Metroid Prime. So I brought my copy. I knew this story because he had told me the story. So I brought my copy of Metroid Prime, which he signed, and a copy of Earthworm Jim on the Sega CD, which he signed for a friend mm, of mine. Nice. And, uh, you know, I got a photo with him, and I also met at that point, who was also there, uh, who, was, who happened to coincidentally be visiting home, which was Connecticut. Uh, at the time, he was like an editor of IGN. And that was kind of a, a pivotal moment where this guy gave me this um, his business card. I was talking to him, and I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a reporter or whatever. And I told him what I do and that I've always wanted to write for Nintendo Power or whatever. And he was like, hey, why don't you come, you know, when you, get out of, when you graduate, call me up. And so I did, and I don't think it ever went anywhere, unfortunately. But uh, it was yeah. one of those moments where it's like, all right, like this is what I want to do with my life, you know? And it got you really excited because it's like, man, IGN. <laughs> yeah, like I was stoked, um, but it just never came to be, unfortunately. And I got you know a regular job and paid regular bills, and um, you know, us all just kind of lived schmucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, like, I kind of I, I started writing for RetroCollect.com. Nice. And that led to the Pixel Nation thing, and I did that, and I was pretty excited about that, and then. Pixel Nation folded, unfortunately, but... Um, unfortunately, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I was happy to be a part of it, and it got my foot in the door as far as, like, being able to promote my work. And, you know, I think at that time, like, that was right around, like, 2008, 2009, like, right around then, I was getting really into watching, like, Angry Video Game Nerd, Happy Video Game Nerd, um, 16-Bit Gems with mm -hmm. Clan of the Grey Wolf with uh, oh, Rue. Yeah. Rue. Yeah, yeah. And those guys I I don't want to say looked up to, but like I I saw what they were doing and I dug it. Like I really respected it. I appreciated it. Uh and I thought to myself, why can't I do this? And I ended up attending Magfest one year. Uh which was I think two thousand eleven or twelve. Yeah. I think it was two thousand eleven. And I, I, I went to a, a panel that Derek Alexander was doing, <laughs> and it That's just like crazy. it was, dude. It was like wildfire. It was like a light bulb went off, and I just got this huge flash of inspiration, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to start a video game review show, and I didn't do it. Like I think a lot of people nowadays, they do. They think that exact same thing, but then what ends up happening is they get delusions of grandeur. And there I are a lot of people that are like misdirected on YouTube for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of people do it for all the wrong reasons. And I kind of also did that as well for the wrong reasons. Like I did it thinking it would become a career. And oh, it, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not. You can't. Like, especially nowadays. Like back then, maybe. But, like, I don't think anyone – I don't think anyone who truly gets successful does it because they want to get successful. I think a lot of the times, especially with this sort of stuff, you do it because you have the passion, you have the drive, and you have the interest, and you want to do it because you love it. 
And that probably yeah. what you know now is yeah. that when you're on camera, you can't mm-hmm. fake passion. Like, that shit comes through. So if you're yeah. over there, like, just trying to make stuff happen because you want to make dollars, like, it's going to show. And mm-hmm. if you're just doing it because you love freaking what you're doing, it, it shows 100%. Oh, yeah. I mean, so I started this show, dude. You haven't played this game. I don't know how I came up with the name. It was just I just did. It's from it's from the movie. (laughs) Yeah, from the movie, dude. Have you seen my car? Yeah, dude. Where's my car? Exactly. Oh yeah, dude. Where's my car? See, I don't even know the name of the movie. That's awesome. It's amazing. Um, I I remember. uh, Hey, Ash, what you playing? Was was really big back then. And, okay. I, and I knew I wanted something to kind of like be that kind of catchy, like, you know, dude, you haven't played this game. Yeah. And it just it it's such a a mouthful to say. So I've always kind of thought that, you know, it, the name is a curse and a blessing at the same time. It's a curse in the sense that it's a long name. Everyone's like, what is it? D-Y-P-H-T? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do it. Why are there like two G's like? You know, uh, for the longest time, people were calling it, dude, you haven't played this game yet. And I still get that a lot of the times is uh, people will say that. And, you know, now it's kind of like a running gag in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll probably put it in the description now just because you said that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's going to happen now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I just I, I started working on reviews and my first review was terrible. It was like 30 minutes long. And it, I did it on Metroid, which is one of my favorite games of all time. And it was a mess. And as I got better and better at working on reviews, I learned how to write a script. I learned what what acting works, what acting doesn't, what lighting means, what uh, you know camera work I should do. Like I had a vision, a goal with every episode. And I think... Uh, you know, if you look at the show now and you watch a show now and you compare it with watching it back in like season one, season two, it's, it's kind of a mess. And I don't think really things started picking up until probably around season three where the show started get getting pretty good and at least watchable. Um, I don't claim that my show is the best in the world. I don't, I, I, it's one of those things where I make fun of myself on the show all the time. When you're a classic uh, where you like are your harshest critic, I can tell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 and I hate that because it's like, I want to be proud of what I put out and, and, and sometimes I, I really am, but then there's always stuff that when I rewatch it, I'm like, Oh, I could have done that better. Or, Oh, I wish I had this equipment that I have now back then you know for the longest time that I was being working said on... though i enjoy season one and two so yeah well you know i <laughs> i i appreciate it I, I i think a lot of the there's a lot of charm with the first two seasons i i think that um mm-hmm. a, a lot of people really enjoyed the the goofy campiness of of it where i didn't really know what i was doing and i and i still to a degree don't really know um i have a a specific formula (laughs) that i try to fit everything into but um uh it's it's for the most part felt more like an assembly line where like i know how to put a review together i in my mind know what i want to do with the review and and how i want to put all the components together for like writing the script 
playing, you know, playing through the game first and foremost, writing the script, um, you know, what kind of acting bits I want to do. Um, a lot of it comes from an initial concept as far as like what I want to review. Yeah. So I'll take an idea and be like, oh, I want to, um, you know, like, um, I don't know if this will actually happen, but I'll throw out an idea, for example, where like, um, or actually, let me, instead of spoiling anything, which could potentially come for a future episode, um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to um, my Haunting Ground review. So go. I reviewed Haunting Ground on the PS2. Mm-hmm. And um, I got my buddy Michael B. the Game Genie and Weekend Game Guy. I got them to be on the review as well. And I came up with this concept. It was a Halloween review, which I always go all out for Halloween reviews. And I came up with this concept where um, it would be – I thought it would be really funny if I lost a bet while playing online games with them and I lose a bet and what I end up having to do is dress up like the character of the game I'm reviewing next. And I had planned on reviewing Haunting Ground, so I had to dress like Fiona. So <laughs> I had to you know, dress, in, dress in drag and – um, you know, really commit to it. And it was a very time consuming review, a lot of fun, a lot of moving parts, uh, in terms of the review itself, like getting everybody's footage together. Um, you know, the, the Halloween episodes tend to be the most frantic and they also kind of uh, end up being the ones that I tear my hair, hair out on the most, <laughs> Jeez. but they're so much fun to do. Uh, in the end, I look back on that's the thing. If 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 you can, the the best advice that I always give to anybody who's thinking about you doing YouTube is don't do it for anybody but yourself. Oh, Put yeah. out videos that you want to watch. You know that can be applied to any kind of creation because, like, literally, like if I was trying to make books that are popular and sell, I'd be doing like children's books based on like Harry Potter's type stuff i'm doing Mm -hmm. books that i like i'm doing cool stuff that i think i would like it's kind of why my collector's books are what they are is because that's what i wanted and that's the same thing with youtube i think a lot of people get like oh i want to be the next angry video game nerd or i want to be the next um whomever and it's like no you gotta do you right exactly yeah so um I would say that um, that was kind of that that was kind of the backbone of the show is it, it became less about me trying to do something to be famous and more about me just wanting to improve my quality of my show. And the more I've improved, the bigger I've gotten, you know, and I'm and I'm a small fry on YouTube. I've only got like, um, you know, like thirty seven hundred subscribers or something like that. And, uh, but, but I'm very happy with where I'm at right now. I'd like to obviously be, you know, in the 10,000 subs range, but I'm, I'm very comfortable with where I'm at. I have garnered a following of a a great, you know, loyal group of, of, of fans and people that I really enjoy hearing from. And I think that's the most thing, the most important thing is you get to conversate with people about video games that you love, you know? So it's getting that niche viewer base because um, there was actually an interesting um post on social media on facebook by uh xander xander scullion and yep. um another buddy 
of ours because I'm pretty sure you know him too. Yeah, um, I, I believe I know him. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's a really cool dude. But he was like, man, just the way you YouTube is set up. If you don't use SEO and do videos on the newest hot thing and be the first one to do it, it kind of gets lost in the ether. And it's like, so those of you that are doing really cool shows in your own way kind of gets lost and he's like i he's, he's talking about just maybe posting videos to facebook too just so that way people can just chat because he does it the same thing like passion and mm-hmm. what, what are your thoughts on like moving toward a youtube combination of youtube and facebook to where you know you just get more people to interact and see your stuff and just shoot the shit with yeah i, I mean the thing about facebook is that it's very it's very different uh, than YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily know if Facebook is the best way to get your stuff out there because like, I mean, I promote my content on Facebook, but like, uh, it, it's not like a lot of the times I think people won't watch something if you promote it. I know that sounds super silly, but like if you are, the, the 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 hardest thing in my opinion about it's not silly, about by the way. it is uh is is being your own cheerleader yeah it's not so, it's not silly it's the classic that kyle would say when he had his metal band after i mm-hmm. left for the military he would set up another account to promote his band so it didn't like like didn't look like he was cheerleading his own band right, and, right. i mean it makes sense and yeah. The other thing that I heard is that if you post your like if you share a YouTube video on Facebook and yeah. I watch it, yeah. you don't get credit for that. Um that's okay. a good point. I I I believe that you do get credit you used for it. to, it but they works. changed their algorithm within the last year or two. Did they? That's, that's interesting. What I heard, that's when I heard that with this whole Xander talk this week and I'm huh. like I'm like, "Oh, that might be why like cuz I I have a you know, like 5,500 followers on, you know, the Hagen's Alley book Facebook page. Yeah, and I would yeah. post a video and I'm like, I got two views on the motherfucker, but I got like 3,000 views on the Facebook <laughs> like <laughs> post. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. How do I have that when I only have three views? And I'm like, uh, YouTube is just a smorgasbord of shit. Uh, it is, man. Like- and, it's like, terrible. Um, but you're you know, 100% the right that... with the cheerleading part. Like, it feels weird. It's like wearing your own shirt as a, in the, like, in a band. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it, you have to, though. You, you have, have to be to. your biggest fan. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're just gonna, you're just gonna sink. Well, and, and, and the thing uh, is, is, if you don't think that your stuff is cool enough to talk about it, why would I think that your stuff is cool enough to talk about right. it? Right. Yeah, it's, if it's you're a good not point. proud, if you're not proud of the work that you're doing and you're not able to be like, Hey, look at this thing I made. It's awesome. You guys should check it out. If, if you can't do that with a straight face and, and know that what, you know, it's just like at the end of the day, when you do a job and at the end of the day, when you leave that job, when you shut those lights off, when you leave that building, did you, did you work as hard as did, were you proud of the work that you put in? Yeah. And and I think that a lot of that is missing from YouTube. I I am not saying that like people don't put in hard work. They there there are tons that do. But um I think that when when people are trying to to 
make something of themselves on YouTube. They're, they have a, a singular goal of, oh, I'll just do a couple vlog videos and I'll get huge. That's not the way it works. Oh, no. Um, and no. like the stuff that you're doing with your YouTube channel, like people just don't understand how much work goes into that with editing and that i'm like what we're doing here with this podcast is specifically done so that way i don't have to do a whole lot of editing because i don't have the time yeah and like you guys do like amazing stuff like i'm not trying to get big on youtube i'm just using this as another way to get the information out get let people get into what we what we're into yeah it depends on depends what it is i mean like for this latest review that i'm working on um, which will come out hopefully sometime next week. It's uh, probably going to be about a 15 to 16 minute review, and it's um, uh, gameplay wise, it took me over 10 hours to beat the game. So you got to beat the game, yeah. And then you got to write the script, which to me that's always the easiest part. And then you got to do the voiceover work, which again to me is probably the second easiest part. And then once you do all that, you do the live action stuff where you act out stuff for, that you've written uh, yeah, for yeah. live action scenes, throw it all together, edit it, and put it out there. And, you know, all of that, probably on average, like a like a simple, for the most part, basic review like this one, uh, probably takes anywhere between 25 to, 25 to 28 hours of, of work. And that's just for one video. And then the more video. like... <laughs> Yeah, uh, but for like the more in-depth reviews that I've done, like uh, for example, two years ago, I did a review on Resident Evil Remake. Oh uh, yeah, with, oh yeah. With game, game versus game, um, and that was a two-parter video. One we did on his channel, which was Resident Evil Saturn versus Resident Evil PlayStation, mm-hmm. and compared those two. And then on my channel, we did like um, a more heavily skit-based review of resident evil remake on gamecube and that one had a lot of moving parts had a lot of stuff that i had to do behind the scenes um working with um other actors doing costumes um makeup that whole thing and then um the best part of that episode well i mean you know aside from the actors that um were friends of mine that that helped out was i did um uh, i got uh, the woman who played Jill Valentine's model, um, Julia Voth, yeah, to be on the episode. Yeah. So basically, she allowed me to use a clip of her eating a sandwich dressed as Jill, <laughs> and uh, worked that into the script, and it came out really well. And I was very proud of that episode. And that's probably my, that probably is. I I think I have the most hits on that. I think it's at about twelve thousand. I would definitely uh, say, too, the one thing that I've noticed that's progressed would be the timing of the humor pieces through the yeah. acting. That has progressed to, like, a mastery where it's, like, it's a classic <laughs> aspect now. Whereas, yeah, like, it's... at the beginning, it was a little bit like you didn't know how you wanted to go with it. But, right. like, I would say probably season three, like you were saying, you, you hit your you hit, hit the ground running. I think a lot of that is just getting more comfortable in front of a camera. Oh, yeah. Um, and also getting in, in more comfortable behind the camera. And having that kind of comedic timing down, it's it's difficult to do. Even if, like, it's not your humor, which, uh, honestly, I'm not saying that this is, like, 
I'm not. I don't think that my humor is everyone's type of humor. But it's, it's definitely different, which I it, I enjoy it's goofy. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm a goofball in real life, and these videos are a uh, a version of myself. I like saying really goofy things and non sequiturs. I'm a big big fan of absurdist humor, so nice. a lot of that comes through in my reviews. Um, and then la I think it was probably about two years ago. I, I said to myself, you know what? Uh, I I've got to start branching out, uh, and doing other videos. So I started a new, uh, series, two new series. One was called noob, Re noob repair, noob um, repair. Yeah. Yeah. Noob repair, which is basically how can I, how can I give advice to gamers or give, um, repair advice or anything like that? Um, and make it simple and easy and no soldering whatsoever. And so um, I have a bunch of different videos with that, all super easy, simple stuff. Like uh, the first episode I did, like swapping out your um, battery on your Saturn. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've that's done. It's definitely super a pain easy. in the ass for anybody who's ever owned a Saturn. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like the actual battery itself dying all the time is what I'm. Talking yeah, about. yeah. Jesus. If you don't use a Saturn, then you know the the battery dies in the back. Um, the CMOS battery or whatever. So, um, so stuff like that. Stuff like um, uh, how to wrap controller wires properly. Um, we did an episode where we did um, it's it kind of has like a Metal Jesus vibe because I bring on like guests sometimes and. Uh, you know, they, they know like way more stuff than I do. Um, so it kind of has like a metal <laughs> Jesus rocks kind of vibe to it at points. Bring it on subject matter experts. Yeah. Yeah. Like my friend Eric is like a hardware genius when it comes to a lot of stuff. Like he knows a lot about hardware, especially about Sega. So, um, uh, he helped me, uh, show people how to region mod, like physical hardware region mod your Super Nintendo, like basically cutting out the, the tabs. But yeah. we did it in like 25 minute video and we got super in depth to show everybody like, hey, this is how you do it. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of comments from a lot of people who were like, thank you for going so in depth because I really wanted to see bit by bit, point by point, specifically what to do. And a lot of the videos I noticed on YouTube for like self repair stuff for, for video games. Mm hmm. All the footage was like super dark. You couldn't see it. There wasn't good lighting. Um, you know, uh, the people who were talking were muffled. They weren't clear. They weren't enunciating. And so I, I wanted to take a turn uh, on a series like that. And I'm pretty happy with how it's turned out. And then the other series is Gaming Linguistics. Mm, oh, which, yeah. I've seen that one. <laughs> yep. Yep. That That's kind of. Um, that's kind of like a, did you know gaming sort of thing where it's like, did you know how to say this word of this game or the name of this game or the name I would of say it wrong every time, yeah. especially the episodes that you do. I'm, I'm always like saying them the wrong way. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like when I did, uh, the episode on East. Yeah. The wise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which everyone says is wise. And it's actually East. East. Uh, I mean, you yeah. have Ninja. A lot of people still call Ninja Gaiden, Ninja Gaiden. Like, I yep, mean, Ninja Gaiden. Yeah, that that that's another one. So sit out by yeah, you. It's... They say Mario. <laughs> Mario. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like our Canadian friends up up north, a lot of them say it's a New Yorker yeah, thing. Mar <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so I did that, and then four years ago, I started a show called Pixel Tunes Radio with 
um, with Ed Wilson, who is my co-host. And we just released our final episode of that. So there's 110 episodes. And that's video game music. It's a video game music podcast. And we kind of came in during a lull where there weren't as many video game music podcasts uh, running at that point. I think it was like mm-hmm. uh, like Super Mercado Brothers. Um, uh, Legacy Music Hour had broken up. Like they had taken a break. And we kind of swept in there around that time and started doing just like a goofy radio based uh video game music podcast and it kind of took off and yeah you were there during the wild west kind of when we started with vgbs too it was kind of wild west and then shit got really crazy <laughs> oh yeah absolutely uh you know the thing about podcasts is is very similar to making videos in the sense that you start working on uh, a project and you don't really know if you're doing great at it but since I had that radio experience and my co-host did as well, we we kind of, you know, worked that into the show and uh, came up with funny commercials and skits and stuff. And, yep. uh, you know, we interviewed a couple composers over the course of four years. We interviewed uh, Matt Furness, a legendary Genesis composer. We interviewed uh, uh, Matt Creamer, also known as Norrin Rad, who did some really fantastic music. Um we interviewed Iku Mizutani, um, which was a email interview uh, with him, nice. and that was that was awesome because he's my favorite composer. Um, we interviewed John Baker, who did the music for the Toe Jam and Arrow games. That's classic. So, yeah, for the first two. So, um, you know, we I, I'm very proud of the work that we did with Pixel Tunes, but it had to come to an end. So now I'm working on a new podcast which will be out june 13th starting with the first episode uh it's called xvgm radio and i'm co-hosting it with my friend justin and yeah i'm I'm pretty excited so you know a lot of stuff on my channel that uh that you know anyone who gets that kind of brings us full circle um you know uh kind of starting at the beginning with this podcast you know starting with episode one um but this xvgm radio is going to be more of a continuation of pixel tunes radio but i would say it's more in line with my original vision where i wanted to make it even more like a radio show so we're gonna have like callers and uh, people calling in uh, eventually like actual real people not like fake phony <laughs> like uh, like funny skit based stuff um they actually yeah. have listeners calling in and doing some stuff yeah yeah that's the plan like uh is starting up like a, a patreon where we could have like people call in like they we give them the theme and then we could have like people call in via Skype or via Discord and, you know, uh, re- record their audio, uh, you know, come up with something with them to, to say or, you know, they could be like, hey, you know, I heard you guys are doing, um, you know, uh, PlayStation one games. I want to hear, you know, the, uh, this game and then we'll play a track from that game. So it's kind of like uh a mix of a couple different podcasts, mostly my old podcast, Pixel Tunes, a uh, mix of uh, like uh, video game music, Dukebox, which is uh, their show is wrapping up, I believe, in July. So it's it's kind of meeting a lot of different needs for what people are, are going to are going to want. So I think it's going to be really cool. I'm, I'm nice. very excited about it. I'm excited about the prospects of uh, a new show starting off fresh. And um, we're hitting the ground running with three episodes already pre-made. And then 
you know, just continuing on from there. Very nice. Yeah, so it's super <laughs> interesting, though. Super interesting, and it's, like, crazy how podcasts come and go, too, that I've noticed. Oh, yeah. It's just, yeah. It, I mean, the time I, comes, and you move on. Yeah, I never, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be, like, wrapping up on a podcast after over 100 episodes, um, but... Yeah. It, it's it's crazy when you look back and you're like, man, I did an episode every other week for four years, pretty much. Um, you know, towards the end, we we started delaying the episodes and doing uh, monthly releases instead of uh, every other week. But um, XVGM Radio will be going back to every other week. Yeah, um, it's like it's interesting too because I mean I've noticed the same with VGBS, like video game bullshit podcast. That like it takes as, as the podcast goes on, it takes a little more to get the episodes out because like Kyle for us has always been the editor, mm-hmm. and it just takes him a while to put them out because it's like he hit that thing where it's like it's become a little monotonous. It's no longer yeah, yeah. has that shine on it and all that. So like mm-hmm. we're getting toward episode one hundred, but it's like we stopped doing every other week a while ago. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was it was a while ago. <laughs> we're we're like what four or five years in and it's like we're only at 92 right now and it's just taking its time but i mean we're going to continue to bullshit it's like that's where this podcast right here fills in the need is mm-hmm. just like just the need to hit up more interviews and things because kyle was never really into the interview aspect unless he had a, a piece of it like if he knew you too he'd be super into it but if he doesn't know you he would kind of just sit back and chill and yeah it's just how it is yeah i was for the most part and at least in pixel tunes i was always the one that that was really gunning for interviews i was always like i got almost all of our interviews except i think ed helped with getting one of them um but i i i mean the ikamizutani episode for example i was emailing him back and forth for like two to three months yeah. Just to, just to try to struggle to get an interview with somebody who barely speaks English. So, um, you know, it's certainly a challenge. Um, uh, we had our buddy Brian from Pixelated Audio helping out with that. Um, and, you know, I've met so many people over the years who have just been huge, uh, like a huge help. Um, my friend Nickel Punk, who did the intro for my music, for my show yeah. for the first few years. Um, and then uh, my buddy Retro Shred who now does the intro music for my show and also contributes music to, to it. He's just like a musical genius, uh, just an awesome guitarist and musician and a really talented guy. And he's a good friend. So it's, it's, it's nice to have people who have your back, who you really, you know, respect and who are talented and who know, you know, their way around, uh, how to put something out in a timely fashion. Um, so it's it's been re- it's been really cool. I've been able to work with a lot of really cool people over the years. So that's awesome, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if the the listeners are hearing, but I hear my daughter like arguing with my wife downstairs, just like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like yelling. I was like, ah, oh, that's awesome. That's classic with with the live recording, though. Yeah, and, yeah. And no, it won't be edited out because that's classic. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, editing editing a podcast is totally different from like yeah. when you release something like this. It's just it's it's a lot more relaxed. It's a lot more easygoing, and you don't have to put as much time into it, but. Editing a podcast, like when you're editing out all the ums and the ahs and the 
the dead air and stuff like that, it it can really be a challenge um, because you mm-hmm. have to basically re-listen to all the work that you did, then piece it all together, and yep. then re-listen to it all again. That's Ugh. where that's where that's where Kyle is like a perfectionist, and it's why mm-hmm. it ta- it's why it takes a while for the episodes to come out, and it's that's where this one's going to be a little different. But again, this is just all about putting out cool shit. Yeah. So. And Definitely. it's always interesting too, like we were talking about like comfort behind the camera, comfort behind the mic. And then of course I'm gonna click the button for you two. We did some panels. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's the classic, like we were at too many games doing a panel, and it's always interesting getting with people because like one of my panels like a couple years ago, I had like Sean Long and D and Dave and yeah. Scott Squatch and all these guys on there and they all like didn't know how to do a panel. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's like like and then like that same year you and I went to it was Retro World Expo and yeah. like we kinda took it took over the panel from Gamester on his and then did another one and like mm-hmm. I was like all right, we're like the only two that really know how to. And the irony on this picture was his rewind mic's on the left, but he's not on the podcast. So I don't want to confuse people. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Poor, poor rewind got yeah got out of the picture, and then there's a giant head of a female in the picture because <laughs> <laughs> classic. I uh, I mean I I don't have I I didn't really have any kind of experience with panels. It was more like. I think the first panel I ever did was Gamester's panel when he asked me to be on it with you and, um, you know, just kind of make, you know, try to just be yourself and, and be fun and keep it light and, um, you know, make sure that you're addressing the crowd as far as questions and try not to keep the discussion too dry and, you know, try to, try to keep everything lively and fun and interesting and, I think that's the key to having a successful panel. Um, Absolutely. We we did a panel last year with um, we we had a situation where we had somebody at Retro World Expo bow out, um, and yeah. because because of that, two slots or I think it was either two or three slots were open for panels, and it was like the week of, and they had to fill those slots very quickly, and so I stepped up and offered to help out i was like you know hey i'm sorry to hear about what happened um i i'd love to help out in any way i can so myself and daniel greenberg um stepped up and we both did a uh, respective podcast or panels rather um he did a panel on um i'm trying to remember specifically what it was about about when Tyrion game studios and he does yep. like philosophical panels yeah. Yeah, he does some really educational, interesting in information. He's a doctor, so yeah, I know, right? Of like video like, games, exactly. Like, like video game history or some shit. Like he's the first one ever from George Mason University. Like, yep, super so crazy. Cool. Another contributor to some of my books. Like, a lot yeah, with the, no, with the, Dan's a great guy, and a awesome good friend. Guy. So it, it's it's been great working with him on on various different things. He actually was the one who did the logo for my gaming linguistics. Nice. Uh, so he did his thing on, I think it was Sunday, if I recall. And then I set up like an emergency panel, uh, which was myself, um, Pam from Cannot Be Tamed, um, Rewind Mike, and RGT85. Nice. And uh, 
you know, we kind of bounced back and forth on what topic we wanted to do. And then I think we, we ended up settling on, um, reimaginings, re-releases and remasters for games. Okay. You know, like a Final Fantasy VII remake. Um, That'll never you know, come out. Yeah, yeah. Forever style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Resident Evil remake. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so That's a good topic, though. Yeah, no, and there was a ton of stuff to talk about, and I, I, and I, I don't know if maybe because it was last minute and we caught Sean off guard, but he seemed to be a bit quiet. And um, <laughs> I think it was more he just chimed in when he felt he had something to say and something to contribute that he would be able to, you know, mention. And um, I tend to notice that a lot of the YouTubers uh, that do panels, they keep their panels a lot more like open ended, a lot more fun yeah. and a lot more like flowy, whereas the ones that I was doing, we were kind of like having trying to have like actual like, I don't want to say philosophical because I don't want to sound like a dick, but like, uh, I, I Pontificated. guess like, Pontificated. yeah, we, we no. tried to have a topic <laughs> and keep it on topic. But like, I remember when I walked into the game and nothing, this is nothing slight to slight the game chasers. They're great guys. Oh, but no. um, <laughs> I walked into their panel and they were talking about like feet or something like that. So it's just like, but that's who they are. So, yeah. like, you know, every panel is going to be different. And so I, I believe Sean hosted his own panel as well. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, more in line with him and his content and his his style. And so I think that's what it's about is just having having the ability to project your own style in a panel. And, you know, for me, I always wanted to project a style which was, like, educational but also entertaining. And that's yeah. kind of all how I've always wanted to do things. And I mean, mine is I have the gift of gab, so I can bullshit about any <laughs> subject you throw at me. So, yeah. like, you throw me on a panel, I can freaking go to town. And it's always interesting, too, because I'm the silence killer. And mm-hmm. with you, you don't need a silence killer, which is awesome. That's what shows that you're, like, a you know another radio personality type. Where yeah, you, I don't shut up. You don't need to though, and that that is literally what is needed for this type of podcasting and panels and YouTube and all of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's exactly what it's for. And oh, absolutely, super cool. Like you and I on a on a podcast, we wouldn't get anything done. It'd be amazing. No, it'd be amazing. No, no. <laughs> but us Seriously. just here shooting the shit is perfect. Exactly. Exactly. So we've come full circle. We're we're at 2018. We're both doing new podcasts. Yep. So, what have you been playing this week? That's the crazy thing. What's been going on this week? Because we're gonna go into like the news type stuff. Yeah. Uh, gaming wise. Um, yeah. What you been playing? Uh. Well, Bloodstained, Cir- Curse of the Moon. I almost Hell said Circle yeah. of the Moon. Circle it's of so, the Moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the DS um, game. Not Castlevania Circle of the Moon, but yeah. uh, Bloodstained, Curse of the Moon. Yep. And I beat it and then now i'm going through it on like the nightmare mode or whatever it is like the second mode yeah so Uh. i um had the you know i don't know the fate of being a backer of same here bloodstain so i didn't get my code so i played the initial run through on steam so i could play it without spoilers and then then after that i could watch what people had to say about it Um, when i got the code for the switch version i actually played that last weekend and I started playing through where you kill all your buddies mode. 
Oh, okay. So you chose to do that. Okay. So because, uh, that because I the first time yet. I went through, I went through and collected them all classic Castlevania yep. freestyle. Now yep. I'm doing it this way, and it's interesting because the powers that you give, that you get that from killing your buddy is are not comparable to what your, the powers that your buddies have. It's unfortunate. Right. Like, right. Yeah. But it'll be interesting because after you beat it that way, you get your buddies and all the powers. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah it's it's a pretty good game um i i enjoy that so i'm i'm very happy with that because i'm a huge castlevania fan so oh yeah and 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 literally that if that was what bloodstained ended up being i would have been happy as a backer yeah absolutely yeah and now we're gonna see how the new version that i am already assuming is going to play a lot like uh, dracula x chronicles on the psp yeah, or like Symphony of the Night, like mm-hmm. that type of style, the Egovania style. I think it's gonna be. Will. I think it's gonna be less pixelated, like uh, like the PS One Castlevania Symphony of the Night was, and more all high def and all that, which is yeah. like when they did the remake. Of... I I played the E three build last year at New York Comic Con, and um, I actually got to interview Ego, which was just that was just amazing. I blowing. That was just mind-blowing that I was able to interview Iga. I sat down with him for about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, and spoke with him just about, um, you know, obviously through a translator, um, but spoke to him about Castlevania, told him I was a huge fan of the series and everything, and, you know, I just I interviewed him. I asked him questions and stuff, and that interview, it, it's unfortunate because I didn't know I was going to interview him. It was more like, uh, hey, I just went to go meet him and get his autograph. But then when I was talking to um, – um, oh, my God. It's going to kill me. What is his name? <laughs> I want to say Roberto, but I, I believe that's that's totally wrong. And I think I made that mistake last time. Dr. Robotnik. Um, I, I, it's, yeah. No, uh, it, it's um, uh, the one of the PR people from um, uh, 505 Games. Oh, okay. And uh, he was like, do you want to interview him? And I was like, uh, uh, yeah, of course. Of course I do. And so I wasn't prepared, but what I did was I set up my camera so that – or so I recorded it on my phone and just – I messed around with the audio, audio in post-production because it was not a – it was not allowed to be a camera interview, like uh, getting him on camera. I wasn't able to do that, so I had to do – audio only so okay you know so i did it and i was very happy with it and it was just a really cool experience to be able to interview him so um but anyways uh the point i was trying to make is that i played (laughs) the e3 build which was at new york comic-con and the game's a lot of fun it's really cool um i was really enjoying it i mean it's it's definitely like a a newer revamped like symphony of the night style game So I think that people who really like Symphony in the Night are really gonna dig it. That's awesome though. That's that's yeah. cool. Yep. Yeah, um so the other thing I've been playing and I never played it up to this point, it was I think it was a rewind mic video back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um Owlboy on the Switch now. Oh, uh did he do Owlboy? I'm I not sure. I thought he did a, a little shout out. He might have just been talking about it on Facebook. Possibly. But yeah, I, I started playing Owlboy, and it's it's pretty cool. Um, I haven't gotten too deep into it because I literally have the weekends to play. Right, um, I hear you. Yeah, weekdays is work, and then go home and pass on the couch and then work again. Yeah, 
Like it's I, <laughs> madness, man. I hear that. I have very little time to be able to play games that I actually want to sit down and play. But when I do, it's usually stuff that I want to review. So what ends up happening is I just end up reviewing. I just end up playing through games that I want to review. Yeah. And the problem with that is that um, it's a different experience because you have to be paying attention to everything. Whereas like um, no casual playing. Yeah, like I'm playing Fist of the North Star on Xbox 360, Ken's Rage, mm-hmm. it's a and it's just for fun. I'm just hanging out, playing it, and um, you know, it's just like a fun, you know, kind of a slow paced beat 'em up, but it's it's enjoyable. I'm I'm enjoying the story and the characters and everything, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. So that I'm playing that. I'm also playing uh, Radiant Historia, um, Radiant perfect Historia chronology. Cool. Yeah. And uh, that's on the 3DS, and that's a really cool like Chrono Trigger ish. So it's more it's like a more linear Chrono Trigger um, RPG, but it's unique that um, in the sense that if you screw up on a timeline, you can go back to a previous timeline and fix it. Oh, that's cool. Which is pretty neat. Yeah, and you still get to experience the full story. Um, it's more or less like a choose your own adventure. Like, oh, I tried this. It didn't work out. Let me go back to the previous point. Let me try it <laughs> from here. So I'm playing that. Um, that's that's and... interesting that you mentioned choose your own adventures because uh, last weekend my wife was uh, going around to yard sales and she found some old choose your own adventure books. And so I started oh, cool. I started reading to my daughter London uh, the Cave of Time the, the original <laughs> classic and started reading the Choose Your Own Adventure and it's all about like the parents leaving for the weekend and all that craziness and mm-hmm. it's cool that there's an RPG that has the same kind of mentality. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a pretty cool game. So, um, other than crazy. that, yeah, I I I've been just like casually playing through stuff. I've been playing Dragon's Crown Pro. Uh, which came out fairly recently. Yeah, um, I never got the original Dragon's Crown, and I'm yeah, kind of glad that they released a pro version out with all the DLC and all the craziness extra stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly the same game as the PS3 and Vita version, um, and what's cool is it's got cross-play, so um, nice. you could play online with your friends. But the, the really crappy part about the game is you can't play online with people unless you unlock the stables, which I didn't know. And you don't unlock the stables until like five hours into the game. Oh, damn! So it's like, so me and Rewind Mike and Nefarious West and a uh, Lucius Showcase, and we we all sat down one day and we were like, all right, we're gonna play this online. We start playing and then we end up reading. Oh wait, we have to play like five hours in just to get the <laughs> stables so we could play online. So, damn. Yeah, that's, that's craziness now. Yeah. And, yeah, so the other game I've been playing, um, which I played for VGBS, is uh, Rambo 3. So, probably... Uh, Genesis? On the Sega Genesis, Rambo 3. And you'll probably see that episode in about 2020, when it it airs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, it's a a classic, because editing takes forever. But, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's it's a really fun game. I love, like, those type of, like, just run-and-gun style. Yeah. It's like a top-down, mm-hmm. right? Running gun, kind of like Commando style or Ikari yep. Warriors. Two different aspects. There's a linear one, linear levels, and then there's like more 
and like objective based levels too which is mm-hmm. cool so it was really fun i can't wait to to chat about it and move on to whatever the next homework is too because like we've been sticking on certain homework games for a long time and it's like it'd be cool to move on um, yeah yeah definitely. so in the news this is one thing that i wanted to, to get your aspect on and then you mentioned rgt85 he did a video on it recently yep. too uh, what do you think about this whole atari box thing the, uh, the atari <laughs> vgs and how now it's a scam a la the classic coleco chameleon style where like basically they're showing gameplay of tempest 4000 that's not on the Atari box because the programmer of the game came out and said, so we licensed this to a bunch of things, but the Linux core that the Atari box runs on the operating system, the backbone of that system, the yeah. game was not programmed for that. And it, mm. and it wasn't licensed to be programmed for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so basically everything on that, two and a half million dollar kickstarter indiegogo crowdfunding thing mm-hmm. has been fake <laughs> so um i know nothing about it to be honest with you and i haven't been watching any videos or following any news about it yeah um probably the reason why is i'm not an atari fan i think that i mean i came from the nes era yeah your um, third you know, my generation first con- Right. My first console was an NES. I did play Atari back then, but I never thought it was great. Like, I always, like, thought it was... Like, I would play Atari, and then my friends would be like, let's play something better, and then we play Mario. Like, yep, that's just how it was. And so, I, I don't want to sound like I'm knocking Atari. Like, I think Atari made huge leaps and bounds for what it was back in the day. But... um pretty much anytime I see anything with the name Atari on it, I think it's not up to standard and that's unfair because I shouldn't give, I should be more open to, you know, I am I'm, I'm able to admit when I'm wrong about something and, and I, or when I'm being hard headed about something. And I I'd say Atari is one of those things. I've always been very hard headed about Atari. And so I haven't really been following the news on this. I heard about the $2 million yeah. Kickstarter thing. And I think that's just simply your nostalgia, too, because yeah. it's what you grew up with, what games you played, what mm-hmm. fun experiences you had with systems. So it's not like you're knocking on Atari. It's more so sure. that you just didn't have that same experience. Like, my first yeah. system was an Atari, but, like, the NES blew me away. That yeah. was why I, to this day, go back to the NES. But I still have fond memories and fun experiences with Atari. Oh, definitely. I, um, I remember playing, like, Burger Time and, like, uh, Frogger on Atari. Um, Kaboom was one of my favorites with the actual uh, paddle joysticks. Yep, yep. Classic. And, uh, you know, I, I did end up getting an Atari um, for cheap from my buddy Justin for... Uh, a while and I owned it you know, I think I bought it for like 10 bucks off of him he was selling his and I bought a bunch of games for it um, at one point I had like a factory sealed copy of E.T. which I found for like 2 bucks somewhere in a landfill um, <laughs> yeah no yeah, in a landfill um, in a landfill somewhere thrown away yeah uh, I really like Berserk that's probably my favorite Atari 2600 game Berserk's excellent yep that's a really yep, good yep. port of the arcade game 
Yep, yep. Um, but then I'd play stuff like Yars Revenge, which people say is an amazing game, and I just don't see it. I enjoy um, Yars Revenge, but I only enjoy it in short stints. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a fan of Pitfall, but that was one of my base games yes. that I owned growing up. Yep, Pitfall's great. I really did enjoy Pitfall. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much anything that plays and looks a little bit more advanced on the Atari, I seem to appreciate a little more. And we're one thing in my um, Hidden Gaming Gems books going to kind of veer toward, at least from my perspective, is that, like, so Pitfall 2 came out on the Atari, but I also had a Commodore 64, and the Commodore was more like a stepping stone between the Atari and the NES. So you would have graphics that are more comparable to the NES and have more gameplay experiences that were comparable, but with like two hours of loading. But um mm-hmm. but basically like I would play I played Pitfall two on the Commodore. So yeah. like that's where my experiences are gonna get really interesting because I have very fond memories of the Commodore and that aspect more so than the Atari and so the like the Atari box scam itself is like it just seems like this whoever the guy is that I mean obviously he had to have licensed it from Atari or whatever yeah. but like he just has a really stylized campaign that the public has grasped onto. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. key. That's why he's at two million dollars. Is that the the public has grasped onto this because it's it's really done well com- with computers. Yeah, and I think that the product itself looks really cool. Like, I've seen the physical product, and it looks really interesting. Like, um, but, uh, so you'll have to clue me in. So this thing only plays old-school Atari stuff, or it's, you're saying Tempest 4000, so it's it's playing newer stuff as well. Yeah, so basically, how I see this thing is that it's going to be a stylized... Uh, mini catch-all Raspberry, not Raspberry Pi, but like a mini PC type deal. So okay, it's okay. going to have like a Linux-based core, which means it's going to be open-ended, so people yep. will be able to port their programs to it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, I don't know why they would do a proprietary system when you could easily just have a Steam box or something. Like, yeah. if it was literally just a fancy, awesome front end to a Steam box with an Atari style to it, I, that would be fine. And I think if that's what they go with, honestly, it's not really a scam then. It's just not what they're saying it's going to be. They're saying it's going to be a console. Right, right. So, like, to me, though, like, the stuff that I saw, which was mainly in RGT85's video, but, mm-hmm. um, like, the games, they have this whole, uh, it almost looks like Coin Ops or Raspberry Pi where you're going through the games and it like shows the box art and then when you click on the game it'll show like asteroids and then like the asteroids graphics move around a little and mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff just looks really cool but then the game itself is still asteroids on the Atari. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I mean it that is what it is. Now the thing is is that like I get it, like, with the nostalgic experiences, but playing, like, Asteroids in the arcade is really fun because you get the Mm -hmm. unique controls. Playing the Asteroids arcade on a Raspberry Pi or an Xbox or even this Atari box, if it was the arcade one, it still wouldn't feel the same as playing it on the original stand-up. And that's the hard thing to replicate with, with emulation and newer stuff. So it'll be super interesting to see which route they go if they just stick with straight 2600 
or if they're going with just Atari games, like, and those are all going to be arcade ports, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, um, that'd be kind of neat. I, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm torn because it's like I, I feel like there's no more of a market for anything like that. And I feel like they're maybe trying to capitalize a little bit on the whole NES Mini, Super NES Mini sort of thing. Well, if if they were trying to do that though, like how many Atari flashbacks are there now? Versions like twenty of them, right? Yeah, true. So true. like, but here's the thing: you can't say there's no market because they have two point five million dollars. Yeah, is, it is only I think it was ten thousand something backers, which means you're talking the the system probably costs two hundred and thirty bucks plus shipping or something. So that's pretty yeah. expensive. I would imagine, though, that most of the people that are contributing to this, who probably maybe also contributed to the Coleco Chameleon. Maybe. uh, Huh? I said maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe. So I I, I think that no, and and, and I don't want to generalize, but in my opinion, I feel like if I was a kid who grew up with an Xbox 360 a PS3, uh, or or even like earlier, like an N64, a PS2, a PS1, like no kid who grew up with that, who has expendable income, is going to contribute to an Atari box. Yeah, you know what I mean? Definitely Be- not. No, this th- this thing is being sold to people who are probably like you know a, maybe a little bit older than myself. Yeah, you're looking mid, mid, mid to late 30s. Mid to late 30s. Well, I'm in my mid 30s. I just turned mm-hmm. 35. That's what I'm saying. So you're saying yeah. mid to late 30s and then yep. to, to 50. Yep, yep. The, and, and it's those people who have disposable income who are funding this thing. Well, hoping there's, to kind of cash there's in. There's that, but at 2.5 million with 10,000, that means it was marketed to where just casual people have seen it people that sure. remember atari and yep. literally that's why the orange button is there and the orange joystick <laughs> is there because that literally that style right there and the wood grain people yep. are gonna see that and johnny was going to get his pbr at the fucking gas station on the weekend who played the atari growing up he's like oh my yep. god um <laughs> but like they I still agree. have to have 200 plus dollars to drop on this Oh yeah, that's where it gets crazy because those flashbacks I mentioned, those are what twenty to forty bucks. Twenty bucks, yeah. So yeah, yeah, this yeah. is this is a premium. Yeah. So this that's is something that requires a, a a little bit more coin. Yeah. To secure, and, and I there's think ten thousand people. Yeah, I, I think ultimately the people that are funding this are people. Most most of the people funding this. Are, are older people, uh, you know, older generations, slightly older that are looking to, you know, kind of, you know, co- you know, get a part of their childhood back, a little bit of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be like if Sega put out something for the Dreamcast 2. You know I, what I mean? Yeah. If, if they legitimately did an actual Dreamcast 2 or a Saturn 2. And, and know, that's those... where you're saying that, like, the comparable to the NES MIDI and the SNES MIDI, because right. that is exactly what the market that those two systems tapped into, that Nintendo yep. hit. They hit a yeah. unique market set, 
And then, of course, the resellers nabbed it all up. To the yeah, where... it's kind of this weird thing where, like, Nintendo puts out a limited quantity of a, of an item, which, in response, makes the cost get driven up. It's mm-hmm. similar to, like, you know, the Cabbage Patch Kids or, you know, um, you know, uh, Tickle Me Elmo, any kind of, like, super hot toy. And it was crazy because that... the NES Mini was to the point where, like, People that aren't even interested in games were yeah. like coming up to me and going, "Hey, were you able to get an NES Mini?" And they're like, "Could yep. you get me one? I want to get one for my husband, or I want to get one for something." I'm like, "Well, I yeah. will see. I got mine, but I will see yeah. if I can find another." No, that's pretty much the same thing. Like, I was getting people coming up to me who were like, "Oh, I bought the NES Mini," and I'm like, "All right, uh, you know." And it, it, I have a Super NES Mini, and the only, literally, the only reason why I have it is for Star Fox Two. Yeah, that was it. I wanted an official release of Star Fox Two, and that is the only reason why I got it. So, so the um, interesting thing was is that you know you can hack both systems pretty sure. easily, and yep. putting Super Nintendo on the NES Mini, it's super blurry, but mm-hmm. Nintendo fixed some of the innards for the Super Nintendo one to where it's a much better system. And mm-hmm. everything's crisp and perfect. Yeah. Which is amazing. Like, that's the thing. Like, Nintendo does Nintendo well. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, Nintendo's always had really top-notch quality. I mean, even their systems that tanked, like the Virtual Boy. Mm-hmm. It was still a really durable system. It was still a pretty hefty system. Um, you know, the quality was always there for the most part with Nintendo. But, um Yeah. It's just um, it's just yeah. super interesting to see like except on the original NES like the toaster. Yeah. Which you know had lots of problems with the pin connectors and everything. I think but... that was literally just the US version cuz they were trying to distinguish it from an actual video game system because the Atari kind of burned consumer yep retailers out yeah. it wasn't the gamers because that's the funny thing too is people talk about the video game crash well i lived through that it was a video game shangri-la for me because mm-hmm. games were cheap they were everywhere but it's oh yeah it, it burned out the retailers and then so like nintendo being a company couldn't get their system and new video games in the store without marketing it as a toy with the robot that's yep. where yep. it's like the crash wasn't really a thing except for now we call it that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we call it that. I mean, they were calling it that back then, too, because, the um, news, you know, yeah. video games never technically went away. It's just the whole market kind of died down a little bit, at mm-hmm. least in the U.S. But there's all, like a bargain bin. Right. Well, I mean, there's whole other markets that people forget about, like the. Um, the European market, which, you know, kind of yeah. leaned more towards the, uh, you know, like the BBC micros, the, the, the ZX Spectrums, the Ooh, C64. you called it Z. It's like you do a show on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Linguistics or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so there, there's a whole smorgasbord of 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 game gaming computers that were coming out in Europe that were huge like and, huge. and really all we had was the Commodore 64 yeah. that that we shared in common with them and yep. they had like the Vic 20 before that where we had that but I didn't mm-hmm. really get that at all I had a few Vic 20 carts that go into the back of my Commodore yep. um but like seriously I we didn't jump on board really 
hard until the Commodore 64. Yeah. Yeah. That was simply um, because of the, the unique marketing. Yeah. And then I think it, it you know, became a thing where uh, it became Sega versus Nintendo. And I think uh, the console oh, yeah. wars kind of uh, really created a huge problem that we still haven't recovered from uh, where, <laughs> you know, um, Sega's advertising back then was so hard hitting. And, and a lot of the other companies, too, were just like hammering Nintendo and really trying to bring them down because they were the top dog at the time. <laughs> and it's and to, to this Sega... day where everybody still thinks of Nintendo as the quote-unquote kitty system, and it's so funny. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's the perfect example I meant to give is that yeah. you know nowadays people are like, oh, Nintendo is just for babies. Well, that's because Sega was advertising that Nintendo was just for babies. And yeah, absolutely. That, that has kind of always rang true at least in the sense of advertising and gamers feel the way they feel about nintendo is they just keep echoing this whole you know uh nintendo's for babies nintendo's for babies but then you look at the nintendo launches of like libraries of games especially on the switch now there's more mature there's more mature and teen rated games on the switch than i think probably the e for everyone games you know probably yeah there's a ton yeah, I will say that the Switch has a really solid library. It's just, um, you know, I already own a PS4, and I already owned the Wii U, so there's not really that much there for me, which uh, warrants a purchase. There's a couple games that I have my eye out for, but you know, well, it, the, it, the it, Switch it hasn't sold me. Was a perfect time for Nintendo to launch a new console for it to hit fire because they capitalized on the. Uh, marketing of the NES Mini and the Super Nintendo Mini and how popular Nintendo was coming back on. And they were like, all right, well, we have this new console now. Because the Wii U uh, was kind of just didn't resonate with gamers. The, the so, Wii U has an awesome library, and it's like people just didn't go to it. Yeah, so here's my theory about Wii U. If they called it anything other than Wii U... <laughs> Yeah. Anything without the name Wii in it, that thing would have sold like gangbusters. I think I so. Think, I think they painted themselves into a corner, and they tried to extend a brand which confused everybody. Well, it's it, especially because with the Wii, they had so many casual gamers that picked it up that when they called this thing the Wii U, the casual, us gamers, we, we knew. But like knew. anybody who jumped on it just to get it because they wanted to exercise and stuff like that, they had no clue. Uh, I'm also going to say that um, I remember going into a GameStop um, right shortly after the Wii U launched, like maybe a, a within a year of it launching. And, uh, you know, Nintendo really screwed up uh, in the sense that, I mean, they screwed up in multiple ways. But uh, one of the biggest ways that I think they screwed up was they didn't have a ton of games in development and they just kind of treated yeah. it like they treated their previous consoles in the sense that they would be working on maybe three or four big, 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 big titles. And they would expect that those titles would carry them through each year. 
and there would be another the, third party to make up the difference. Right. And third parties were like, yo, this thing ain't selling because you're not putting games out for it. Yeah. And and I think that is the big issue is that Nintendo wasn't putting out games for their console initially. And there was too much of a lull mm -hmm. in the beginning. And that's why everybody started saying that the console was dead. Um, and I really but, do feel like the Switch... Mm -hmm. is what the Wii U, the like the idea of the Wii U was supposed to be. The, oh, just absolutely. That technology was not there at the point. Yeah, like, I like, agree with like that. This thing is like, the system is amazing. Yeah, it's it's a really well-designed system for what it for what it is. Yep. My only gripe with it, uh, aside from the fact that the game library is just too much of been there, done that, Mm -hmm. um, is the system is underpowered again. And, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to kind of go back to the GameCube era in the sense that the GameCube was the second most powerful console of that era. I've it heard from others powerful. that it was more powerful than the others. It <laughs> was more powerful than the PS2 yep. uh, graphically, like graphically capability-wise. In, in most ways, I've heard people argue that the PS2 is slightly more, more powerful than the GameCube. I don't see that. No. Um, uh, anytime I ever compared any multi-platform titles on the GameCube, the PS2, and the Xbox, they look the best on Xbox and GameCube, if not sometimes better on GameCube than, than Xbox. Mm -hmm. um, and PS2 always was the worst as far as the, the visuals go. Now, not saying that the PS2 visuals are bad or anything like that, but that's just been my experience from the games that I've seen multi-platform. And, uh, you know, there's been some great games on, on all the systems, but mm -hmm. I, I definitely felt like the Xbox had the best graphics of, of and this is coming from a non-Xbox or original Xbox owner. I didn't own an Xbox. I had a GameCube and then later on had a PS2. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but. I kind of went through them. But, yeah, like, the thing that's interesting is that, like, I never go for the most powerful anyways like i always go for the games and you're right though like the whole switch library right now is been there done that but yeah because my backlog's so ridiculous a lot of those games that have been coming out especially like this the ones for steam like mm -hmm. owlboy for example i didn't have that game so i was like mm -hmm. hell yeah i get to finally play it and on a nintendo console yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Same thing with Tiny Barbarian DX. I didn't play Tiny Barbarian. I didn't. There's a ton of games I hadn't played. Um, I didn't even play uh, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze on the Wii U. Mm -hmm. Um, so now getting that version, but the, like Nintendo is re-releasing so many games that the gaming the online gaming community is going to give them shit for that. That's for sure. Uh -huh. But oh, yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. You know, they're going to do a Mario Maker. They're going to announce that at E3. They they almost have to. Yeah, yeah. And well, they're definitely doing Smash Brothers. Um, Smash and Metroid Prime Four. Yeah, and 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 as far as the the Switch, um, I and and the GameCube and all that, I I don't have a problem with an underpowered console. Um, my my issue is that underpowered consoles tend to not get the 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 most graphic heavy games. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times they they're the ports that do come out on the underpowered systems are flawed in a lot of ways. And that developers, oh, yeah. if they try to release a triple A for sure, 
Yeah, like that. That's the thing is like I own a PS4 to play AAA titles, pretty much. Like uh, yeah. AAA titles or like uh, PlayStation exclusives because PlayStation has some great exclusives. Now, so, um, now call me an old codger, but like I've been doing like you're an old codger. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I've been I've been reviewing like doing my top ten games for the past like years, like five, ten years, whatever <laughs> since VG Masters Club. And I've noticed that, like, I never have AAA titles on mine at all. So, yeah. like, like I do have my, you know, the PS4 for the freaking, for the AAA titles and things. But I'm like, I never really even play those. Like, I look forward to the Owl Boys of the, of the world, and sure. those blow me away. But it's literally, I'm just playing stuff that's more similar to what my nostalgia is, which is NES Super Nintendo. Sega, yeah. Sega Genesis, like. That's just yeah. what it is. So it's like it's interesting that like I, but I still want the newest system to have the newest AAA titles. On. Like the the idea of playing the new God of War sounds amazing. I don't have the time to sink into it though, and I think that's mainly it. Is that still the indie game scene with all the the retro style games? They're mm. still short, palatable experiences in some cases. Sure. Well, I think that. Um... What we're seeing is that there's something now brewing, I would say, called uh, du- like double A games. Mm-hmm. That's what I kind of call them. And that's like the developers that are not quite indie but and not homebrew, but they're they're also not triple A. Talking so about like, like indie crates? Yeah, into creates. Yeah. Um, I would stay way forward. You know, yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Yeah, like Marvel, uh, like publisher Marvelous, um, mm-hmm. Nicholas, Nicholas, uh, Nicholas. Yep, yep. The, all of those. I'm purposely uh, saying them all wrong just to mess with you. By the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of those, all those companies are putting out content, which is right up there with like you know the triple A's in the sense that you know they're well crafted, well designed games, but they're not they don't have the triple a backing of a company like ea or ubisoft or mm-hmm. uh you know uh epic games or any of those kinds of companies so because of that they i don't want to say they suffer they don't suffer um i would say it's more um you have to really want to know about these games to hear about they these get games. overshadowed you know what I mean, and and so I think that Nintendo's done a great job of of um, working with those kinds of companies, those double A companies. Oh, and, and and that definitely content. is where the niche, the niche of the Switch is going to be because the they get lost in the sauce with the uh, the PS4 and the Xbox. Like they'll still oh, be out, but like with the Switch, it's like all right, so it's on a cartridge, and yeah. I get to play a retro style game on a Nintendo system, and yeah. there's not going to be that triple A competition in most yeah. cases i and... guess my my issue is like the online the lack of uh, oh. a decent online yeah i i personally i'm not a, a giant fan of online either because i'm an old neither Patrick. am i but <laughs> I, I i like the idea that um if i wanted to stream a game i could just jump on and stream yeah i don't have to i don't have to worry about playing a game on the switch which is gonna be like a lower and like a a worse port of an already existing game like if you compare and i know this is a bad port but if you compare like dragon quest heroes um two on 
um, PS4 versus Switch, there's like it's like night and day, like two di- totally different games um, as far as that goes. And that's just because it was a downpour. You know, yeah, you, yeah, when yeah. You've, when you've got a game that w- that's coming out by a AAA developer, they don't re- they don't like downporting their games down to, you know, you, you know uh, a, a, a system like the Switch. You, you're starting to see these companies working with Nintendo, like Bethesda, like, um, you know, with like Doom. But, and with Dark, for, with Dark Souls that's coming yeah, out too. Yeah, Dark Souls, Doom, uh, Skyrim. And these are all ports of games that are a couple of years old that, you know, uh, still, you know, even though they run pretty well on the system, mm-hmm. it, it, in some aspects they struggle. Like, you know, there's always like, oh, is there a difference between docked mode and undocked mode? You know, do I have to play the game, you know, docked versus undocked? And there's this whole thing with um, portability that's totally new because now we're, we're finally experiencing a console experience in a handheld yeah. So you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. You got to kind of understand that, you know, yeah, this isn't going to be 30 frames per second, but it's also on uh, a handheld, you know? Exactly. And the handheld aspect's been probably one of the best parts because, like, if I'm going off to a convention or something, I can have my system with me while I'm waiting in the airport. And yeah. that's, like, something that's ridiculous sitting there playing a, an amazing game like Zelda Breath of the Wild in an yeah. airport is just ridiculous. I guess the the lack of, um, I, I know that Nintendo finally has accounts, mm-hmm. uh, but, like, they still have friend codes. They still <laughs> have, um, you know, a lot of things that I have issues with, like, uh, just their online stability is not as good. Oh, speaking um, of online stability, like playing the Mario Tennis game, when yeah. I played it in handheld mode, um, yeah. I had no issues in the morning. I played it yeah. later in the evening in docked Forget mode, it. and it was like I was it was pausing and stuff to where I couldn't even like predict shots. Yep, and I never have that problem with my PS4. Nope, like uh, hardly ever. You know, if I'm playing Doom online with somebody, or if I'm playing. Um, you know, a- any kind of online game with somebody, it it always, for the most part, works well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a lack of hard drive. Um, uh, you know that that's a huge issue for me because I don't want to. Uh, you know, games are getting more and more like they're requiring more and more content be downloaded. Lots of space. so, yeah. So you need a ton of space. And, like, I ran out of space on my 500-gig hard drive on my PS4. I had to get a terabyte. Yeah, we have to – my wife has been wanting to get, like, a two or three terabyte for our PS4 because we ran out of space to where I can't even play some of the newer games that I've gotten because we can't install them. Exactly, exactly. And so I kind of feel like um, Nintendo's just in this spot where – they're just getting by with their hardware and yeah, they're making profit, which is what matters to them, mm-hmm. um, you know, financially, but at the same time, like they're shortening the life span of their systems where like the PS4 could probably go another four years, but the switch is going to tap out with their hardware. I'd say in two years tops hmm. where like, it'll be interesting like- to see because I, I almost see the market 
I don't know if the market's going to progress as fast as it has in years because we're in more of an upgrade generation. Because, you know, sure. I'm, doing, I'm doing hidden gaming gems with the generation by generation. And really, mm-hmm. the Switch is really 8.5 because you also have the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X right yep. now. And that's yep. really the next because you had to buy new systems to, to get those. And I did not upgrade. Yeah. Um, those two, but I did get the Switch, and the Switch is really an upgrade of the Wii U. Like it's a it's a progressive upgrade, but it's yeah, it's not like a generational jump. Even though hardware wise, and it's a completely different thing for Nintendo because they always have a gimmick. I th- I think the difference between the Switch and the Wii U is that. The Wii U's gamepad was a gaming mechanic. Yep. Whereas the Switch, I, I don't know. I feel like it's more advertised as gaming on the go, which is fine. Yep. But, um, you know, one of the things that I really loved about the Switch or about the Wii U was that I could play games where the screen on on the controller that i was holding the map was like exactly like a map or an easy access to inventory like yeah that 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 is not happening on that won't happen on the switch yeah that won't happen on the switch right and so that to me was a huge downgrade from the wii u going to the switch because now you're going to a single screen situation. And I really liked the gimmick of on the Wii U in the sense that, um, you know, the game pad was more than just a game pad. You could do different things with it when they advertised the, in the beginning, uh, of the Wii U's life cycle, you know, before the system came out, you know, they showcased like people playing golf where like the, you would swing the, the Wii mode on the ground. And, right. Yeah. Oh, that was just so cool. Um, and in even some of the stuff that they were doing with like Nintendo land and, um, mm-hmm. some of the stuff that they were doing with, um, like some of the games that came out on that system, like Resident Evil Revelations was really good on that system. Um, you and, know, and any it game... is, it is, I, I understand why Nintendo kind of kept the, with the Wii series with the system, even though the name's terrible. But um, yeah. but like literally because it's still an extension of that system with all the mm-hmm. interactiveness of the Wii U. If they called it, what was it supposed to be called? Like the Revolution? I think it was supposed to be called. Was that or the was Revolution? That the yeah, that was the Revolution. The Wii was the Revolution, I thought. Yeah. One was the Dolphin. Yeah, that was GameCube. GameCube. And then, and then the I Revolution. I think the Wii was Revolution. You don't remember what the and, Wii U was. I'm not sure, but I. Whatever they were going to call it, Would they should better. have just called it that. It doesn't matter. As long as it has nothing to do with the Wii U. And that that system would have done well. It would have done as good as the Switch. Yeah. Uh, in in my opinion, you know, I, I think that companies would have started making more games for it. I think, you know, companies were very hesitant um, because, you know, you're following up with the system, with another system with the same name. And that first system tapered, tapered off. After three to four years, there were some great games that came out for the Wii. Mm-hmm. But after a first, you know, after, you know, the three, four years after Wii Motion Plus was developed, maybe a couple more games came out after that that were really notable. But for the most part, the system was full of a lot of shovelware. Tons and a lot of shovelware. Of, yeah, tons and tons of shovelware and not a lot of games. Um, 
that that were coming out that were substantial. And then Wii U hit the ground, and it was kind of like a, just a, a fancier continuation of the Wii, and developers weren't buying it. The public didn't understand it, and it was just lose-lose. So that's the reason why I think that Wii U flopped. Um, but, I mean, there were games that were giving totally new experiences that, yeah, they were different. Yeah, they weren't your average experience, like Star Fox Zero, uh, Fatal Frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they weren't your your average experiences. But I, I think that the Wii U is very underrated. I would consider it like either the Saturn or the game, uh, either the Saturn or the Dreamcast of Nintendo. So I actually, um, I do have one, at least one game right now written for the Wii U in the Hidden Game Gems book. And mm-hmm. it's actually kind of one that Nintendo highlighted for a while, and then it kind of nobody really played it or talked about. It was the wonderful 101. Oh, yeah. yeah and, yeah. and like those that are fans of the Wii U are like, that's a freaking excellent game. And mm-hmm. like, but nobody really talks about it. So it's kind of a little bit of a hidden, underappreciated gem. Yeah. No, and, that is true. Yeah. It was like, there's so many on that system. Like, uh, it, it'll really be interesting to see what kind of games people choose for different systems and what mm-hmm. people gravitate towards. Yeah. Because I'm not going to, you know, say, oh, well, the, the Nintendo is full. You can't write about any more Nintendo games. Right. right. Like, literally, it's going to be one review per game. But then it's going to be, like, as many games for that generation as possible. Because I'm going to see what generation wins type thing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. I I, I want to do... um The one thing that I want to write about is some uh, PlayStation VR games. Because there's a couple out there that are pretty good. Yeah, there's um, some pretty cool stuff. But I don't have there. a PSVR. So it's going to... Hopefully I'll have like somebody be able to write about them. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have yeah. one. And I don't write about stuff. So we're getting over two hours. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what uh, what do you have coming up? You said you have your new podcast. Where where can you find your new podcast? Sure. Uh, so the new podcast will be uh, on my YouTube channel, but it'll also be on um, pretty much anywhere that you can go to get podcast so it's it'll be on all podcatchers we'll have an rss feed set up for it nice. um if you have itunes just search for it it's xvgm radio um the website is xvgmradio.com nice. and you can go there now it's live we have a facebook group facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash xvgm radio uh, you know we're on twitter as well um at xvgm radio and you can email us xvgmradio at gmail.com. So, you know, uh, you are XVGM radioed up everywhere. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and the first episode, which I can reveal um, what it's going to be, it's, it's going to be uh, the fun, funnily enough, after, after uh, talking about this for, you know, the past like maybe half an hour or so, uh, it's going to be about the evolution of Nintendo console music. Nice. Yeah, so it's going to be like from the NES all the way until the Switch. And so we pick, um, you know, tracks to kind of showcase, trying to talk about them. Um, so that'll be the first episode, and that's uh, it's going to be pretty cool. I think I think everyone will enjoy it. Um, if you did like Pixel Tunes Radio, I think that you'll really like XVGM Radio as well um, because it, got, it kind of goes in that similar style with a fresh new take. 
an outlook on things, on music, on composers. So, um, you know, I think having I, more interviews too is going to be cool. Yeah, yeah, we've already got a uh, interview lined up with another composer for our. I think it's going to be our fifth episode. I don't want to talk talk too much about it um, okay. because it's it's not finalized, but um, it's going to be a really awesome composer. So I'm very excited to kind of showcase that hopefully it goes through um <laughs> for the youtube stuff um uh, i have a review coming out hopefully this coming week and um that will be like a continuation i've been doing like video games uh video game reviews based uh based on like games that are based on or include heavy metal music in nice. some capacity so last episode I did Heavy Metal Fact 2 on the PC. And um, I, I, I can't give it away just yet, but I'm doing um, a review on a game that uh, will be coming out this week, coming up. And then and that'll have something to do with Heavy, heavy Metal. Nice. And, um, you know, I've, I've got a couple ideas have for... Heavy Metal? For... Heavy Metal is yeah. good. Well, yeah. and the thing is, I'm actually covering a switch game that's around heavy metal called slain oh cool yeah that game is really really cool it reminds me of like a super nintendo sega genesis platformer nice nice and it's all heavy metal and and blood and guts that's awesome yeah yeah so that's that's kind of what's been going on um you know just working on trying to get this podcast up and running and um, everything will be up and running June 13th for that, um, starting with uh, new episodes every other week. Um, but the website is live. You can go to it now if you wanted to. And then as far as uh, YouTube, YouTube, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break. Um, my wife is um, having our first daughter. Well, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank Good you. luck so, and enjoy the no sleep for a while. Yes, yes. So I, I will be... <laughs> Uh, slowing down a little bit, uh, just to kind of catch my breath and enjoy. Um, help out you your know. wife. Yeah. Got it. Got to Got to help out the wife in the, in that situation. That's exactly. A, that's exactly. A no, that's a new uh, fail. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's that's definitely happening. So that'll be you know any day now. She's expected to to give birth. So, uh, you know I'll be taking a little bit of a break, but I'll be back in July at some point with another review. Um, fingers crossed. Hopefully. Um, and then I've got some really cool stuff coming. Hopefully in August, where I may be doing like uh, like in a ways that's like a field trip because I won't be recording anything in my location like in my home i'll be recording something at a at uh, an event that's really all i can kind of say is nice. it's like some sort of event that i'm going to be doing a, a review on tentatively um for something so it's going to be a lot of fun i think it's definitely something different that i haven't done before but i think i think people will enjoy it i try to keep things fresh and fun and unique and different and try to you know, kind of bring back the spirit that has been missing from, you know, YouTube, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. You know, stuff like um, Clan of the Grey Wolf, um, 16-Bit Gems, uh, Happy Video Game Nerd, Angry Video Game Nerd, you know. Try to carry on that legacy of, of making reviews that I would watch. So uh, I'm just happy that 
anybody's interested. So <laughs> exactly, it's it's yeah. Things have come full circle and to the point where last year we were hanging out with Derek Alexander, just drinking beers and playing video games. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was pretty. That was pretty. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It was cool. It was it was nice to to um because I, I like I'm such a fanboy when it comes to Derek Alexander because I've <laughs> met him a couple times and every time I meet him I'm like dude you're so awesome like I just I always go up to him and I'm like oh I just wanted to thank you for inspiring me to do my own show on on YouTube and you know like I'm sure he gets that constantly oh, but I like I, I I don't know I, he, I, I know, like looking at him when he, when I'm telling him this, and like my brain is like, stop, you're embarrassing yourself. Just shake his damn hand and walk away. But um, the fact that we got to hang out with him a little bit, um, you know, just hanging out, drinking beers, and playing old video games, and like we were doing, we were playing like 3DO, those like 3DO porn games, <laughs> 3DO porn games of they were Rob. So- Oh my god! It's just you, you got me, who I like know everybody. So it's like, yeah. like the crazy thing is, is I don't even know if you know this, but Rob, who brought the 3DO porn games, like his yeah. dad worked for the company. Well, uh-huh. he's like basically the world champion of ice cold beer. Oh really? He wins every year at Magfest. There's like a, a tournament, and like wow. nobody can beat him in it. And it's like, Jeez. like it's he's like. Everybody has their own crazy niche, and it's like, but I'm like the dude who knows everybody. I'm like hanging out with the angry video game nerd or Derek Alexander, all these yeah. like YouTube guys, because I'm just hanging out with them like they're just because they're just normal people. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's, I mean, that's first and foremost, treating. And then I'm like, like, I enjoy their shit. It's it's awesome. Like their videos are are great, and, and like Derek Alexander has reinvented himself into his whole oh absolutely uh, stop skeletons from fighting and brought in his girlfriend into it, and she yeah. freaking has all awesome content that that she puts out too. And it's like absolutely, it's a collaborative, yeah, I, I... awesome reinvention of what he's done. Yeah, it's it's awesome to see him succeed because he he I feel like he struggled for so long with Happy Video Game Nerd and he had an audience but I I feel like he never really like took off um and it was always like this cult thing where like you yeah. know there were tons of people that really enjoyed Happy Video Game Nerd but like it never kind of evolved from that mm-hmm. and then when he brought Grace in and started Scop Skeletons I I, th- I think it really took off and uh you know, he's, they they've been doing they've been killing it. So I'm I'm really proud of both of them. I think that they're they're great. You know, uh, they're great content providers. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really interesting the stuff that they come up with and the topics that they discuss. So very like well, um, you know, el- eloquated. You know, they're just like they they know how to how to speak. Um, you know, in the reviews and, and in everything that they write and they and they produce, so they're they're really top notch. So, but uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's cool stuff though. Yeah, like it's just it'll be interesting to you. So, um, so I have a few conventions that I'll be hitting this year, and it's going to be few and far between. I don't know what you're going to be hitting up. Obviously, you got some prior engagements this summer. <laughs> um, obviously. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be no hitting up um, I'm gonna be hitting up Classic Game Fest in Austin, Texas. So I'm in Texas, so anything Texas is gonna be easier for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be going to Game Straighty Ones in Arizona. Game on. Um, that's August, and then October is Portland Retro Gaming Expo. That's all I'm doing this year. I've done like yeah. 13 conventions in a year before. 
but yeah, like, time that's, that's... does not exist anymore for me. No, so. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will be uh, attending. Um, going to Retro World this year. Retro World Expo, just because it's in my backyard in yeah. Connecticut. So oh yeah. I will. I will be there. Um, I don't know if I'll be a guest or doing a panel. I really don't know. Well, how um, Retro World goes, like you'll probably have three panels last minute. <laughs> like this is how it works. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Because I remember, like um, the the first year I went where we went we went ended up doing two panels yeah, and yeah. like literally they were like yeah we're too full this year for panels when this was when i was at a video game con before that and i'm like okay cool just let me know you know because the guys that run it are awesome and yeah. um and then basically like day before they're like oh so you're gonna do a panel at this time <laughs> yeah yeah and then like basically they bumped it up 30 minutes or something without telling me so i'm right. at my table set up it's at the beginning of the convention i just go and i'm like just saw gamester i'm like hey gamester hey mike hey rewind come on let's yeah, go yeah. let's go and we kind of i yeah. started the live panel like the live vgbs episode while i was walking and <laughs> like it was just that was a classic <laughs> yeah that was that was a lot of fun that was i think that was my first panel nice if i recall yeah yeah um yes it was crazy man i don't know i don't know if i'll have panels i'm not doing a um video game music panel this year um i decided not to so um just because i i I need to get xvgm off the ground um yeah and i and and i really want that to succeed i want to get a little more clout with that before i can start you know uh start having a panel you know Sure. having having a brand new project um with no you know with with a very limited following right now because you know people don't know about it or you know some of the some of the hardcore fans know about it but like not everybody knows about it not everybody has made the move over and it's not even out yet so trying to build that kind of repertoire for something that doesn't exist is like near impossible so um, you know, and I, and I don't want to fall back on pixel tunes cause I'm kind of trying to move away from it. So, um, more or less just trying to, uh, build that brand and, uh, stick with it. But, um, if I do do something, uh, for a panel, it'll probably be along the lines of what I did last year where I was on the a panel. Yep. I was on a couple panels. One was the one where we saved, um, you know, the time slot. So we could provide something. So that was the one with uh, the remasters and the remakes with uh, with uh, yeah, like RGT and yeah, yeah, and Pam and and Rewind. And then I did another one with some Connecticut YouTubers, which was pretty cool. Which was like a kind of like a workshop thing, uh, which kind of was designed to like teach YouTubers like how to how to do YouTube, I, I guess. <laughs> Or what our experiences uh, were with YouTube. So maybe something along the lines of that. I, I don't really know. But I can only go for one day this year because it falls on my wife's birthday. Oh, yeah. You definitely so, can't go on that day. Yeah, I can't mm-hmm. go on Sunday. But I, I'm I'm going to try to see if I can work with um, um, Retro World Expo to become a guest again for uh, for even if it's just one day. So Yeah, that'd be a freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, man, let's uh wrap it up. Uh, <laughs> fun stuff, though, man. This is exactly what what the what the podcast is about here. This one is just us just shooting the shit and hanging out, man. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely good catching up. We'll uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Uh, thanks for coming on, Mike, and uh, make sure everybody you check out his new po- his new podcast. Uh, if you were familiar with the old school one, you know, um, definitely check out the new one. It's video game music, very knowledgeable, and let's uh, freaking stay retro. <laughs>